KOFY Coffee TV Twenty San Francisco. So, so you're able to see the um, the dock and all that stuff. Like, <clears throat> I, know, I I know you were like, why are you doing this to me? Like, you don't you don't have to read everything, but but I just thought maybe you know some things it might be fun to go over bits and pieces, and I can read some of it. I perused it, but my my immediate thought was, oh, this sounds like extra work on top of extra work. That is this show. On yeah, Tuesday. I know. I, and, I, and Tony's not even here, and I knew he wouldn't hear. But yeah. <sighs> I mean, I just I like this stuff, so I don't. Yeah, I know you want to. I, I, I didn't want to half-ass it, you know. Yeah, I know, but yeah, I that uh, issue three cover is a nice reference to have. So yeah, I figure like some of those things you don't. Yeah, you wouldn't know about it. I mean, I kind of put it all in one place, so it's not like I had to link you to like fucking twenty different websites or whatever. You know what I mean? Like where all the and and some of this shit comes straight from like you know, Marvel Age and Amazing Heroes and shit, where I'm just like, ah, you know, like, just one day I was like, let me look all this crap up and put it all in one spot. And I'm pretty sure my cousin had this Freddy doll here, this Matchbox thing. You know what's funny? I know I had it, and I don't don't think I sold it. I don't, I don't, you know, I just, I don't know, I just don't remember, but but I don't, I don't think I know where it is, if, if it is around here somewhere. I know there's a video like I, you know, I used to make all those Doogie Howser home movies and shit. And like, I think I, I, I don't know. We we always came up with like dumb shit. Like we were, you know, we 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 didn't always have scripts, and it was always very improvisational. But I remember I had the Freddy doll, the Mashbox doll. But I I think I treated it like we were doing an episode of Freddy's Nightmares. But it was kind of it was kind of insensitive to the friends, but kind of stupid. But it was like so there were four of us. There was like the the you know at the time. I mean he's not like a little dude now, but at the time he was the smallest of us, and, and he was you know a little Asian dude, right? And he was one of my good buddies who loved Wolverine and you know collected comics, and he was one of the guys that like you know he, he he's one of the guys I think of when I say like you know Wally West, Flash, and Starman, Roger Stern, Starman are like the the gateway drugs to DC comics or whatever, you know, like, cause, cause that's what got him started on getting other books and things like that outside of like being a Marvel zombie and all that kind of stuff. But it was some kind of, you know, it, it might've even been like the same, you, you know, I said, we all went to the Seven Eleven and dumped a bunch of quarters and played the turtles mm-hmm. arcade game. It might've even been that whole same you know, it was like the end of summer and everybody came over to my house for like a sleepover and all this other bullshit. And like we were all, you know, fucking around and all that stuff. So we, I would always make these stupid movies and stuff. But um, the Matchbox Freddy, it was like we filmed the Matchbox Freddy and it was like me doing the Freddy voice like he was the host. And then it was supposed to be like so. So it was the the little Asian kid and then. And then me, which I was pretty little too, but I was at the time I was a little taller than than he was at the time. And then and then my my one of my buddies, Robert, who was like super tall, like he was fucking lurch or whatever, right? So like <laughs> like he was tall. And then there was this other dude at the time, and uh, his name was Jonathan. And like he 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 was one of those guys. Like he was really into Freddy. So I was thinking about him when I was revisiting all this shit. But um. He was kind of portly, you know, like he was a big dude, you know, like he ate a bunch of shit and whatever. I mean, I think he lost weight later on, but like at the time we knew him, he was huge and everything. So it was like this thing where it was like, 
I, I, I was just like doing this thing where Freddie was like, okay, and Johnny kept eating and eating until he exploded, you know, or whatever. And it was like, I just, we kept cutting from like the Asian kid to me to the, you know, the tall guy to the fat guy. And then, you know, like then it was like, we, I don't know what we did, like some balloon ball filled with water or some stupid shit and it all exploded or whatever. But I don't know. But yeah, I, I definitely had that matchbox Freddy doll. Take it away, Derek. What's your question? Why do you guys talk about comics so much? Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? 18 years. <laughs> Toothbrush is still fresh. Did they have sex? Because, I mean, she hulked, you know. Damn it, Tony. We went an entire episode without mentioning Maggot, and then you ruined it. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? Batman's got his little fishbowl on his head, but <laughs> Superman doesn't. Cyclops was right. Except when he was wrong. Master Bruce, you are calm. I'm going to silently judge all of you. Shut up, beast. Shut <laughs> up. Like I've read it so many times, you know, it pretty much just crumbled in my hands. Come on, old chum. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read him? See, I didn't hate Hellcat until you made me read this miniseries. It was just a joke, but you made it real, Justin. No. You made it real. I, I prefer my Dazzler singing, like, Creed and Clearwater Revival songs at Australian bars. Titty discs. In it. That's what to be known as from now on. Like, I'm going to go into the Marvel Wikipedia and edit that. Whatever it is. The worst titty discs. get better than that. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey guys, welcome back to another finger knife tastic soul sucker-ific episode of Fan Holes Comics, motherfucker! Do you read them? Hey, what's up guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm gonna be one of your hosts on this special Fan Holes Fright Fest episode, but I am not alone. I've got one of my fellow fan holes doing jump rope and saying creepy spooky rhymes at me why don't you give a shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight and i am a dream warrior don't want to dream no more so yeah so in case you haven't figured it out this is part of our ongoing fan holes fright fest coverage and as we sort of hinted at in the the Elvira episode, there were going to be more Marvel magazines to come that we were going to discuss for Fanhole's Fright Fest. And I have two, if you can hear them, two, count them, two Marvel magazines, Freddy Krueger's A Nightmare on Elm Street. I've got issues one and two. And of course, Justin was kind enough to join me for this endeavor tonight. Basically, the first two issues, the only two issues of the Marvel magazine, Freddy Krueger's A Nightmare on Elm Street, are titled Dream Stalkers, Part 1 and Part 2. And these were written by Steve Gerber, and they have art from Rich Buckler, Tony DiZuniga, and Alfredo Alcala. They have really wonderful covers by Joe Jesco. They were part of the Marvel Magazine imprint, and the cover dates are listed as October 1989 and November 1989. But in fact, the on-sale dates were July 4th, 1989, and August 1st, 1989. The cover price was a whopping $2.25, and... The editor was Bob Budiansky, who should sound familiar to all of us 
Transformers fans. But yeah, before I get into like the nitty gritty with doing a synopsis of these two issues and and Justin and I discussing them and everything, I, I know I've probably brought this up somewhere along the way on the proper podcast, but I, I thought maybe it might be fun to talk about like what our history is with this. And I'm not sure. I mean, I we, we may have talked about this before. I mean, I, I know you have other maybe horror preferences but i mean you're you're familiar with this genre correct like or at least you're familiar with freddy krueger and the nightmare on elm street and all that kind of stuff right justin i mean i was always more of a friday the 13th yeah yeah but i i I do really like these movies too yeah i could i could tell like we're kind of we're we're kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum when it comes to freddy versus jason but we're, we're we're both familiar with the the films and everything let, like that. Let me put it this way. When Freddy versus Jason came out, like if you and I knew each other, like in person, like we could go hang out, like you and I would be arguing. Who would win. <laughs> like that's how it would be. So that's cool. I mean, this is fun. Like, like what, what like what, what's your first memory of like Freddy or nightmare on Elm street? Like, do you remember like what the first movie you saw was like, how did you, did, did, have you seen all the movies? Have you only seen some of the movies? Like, what's what's like your history with with Nightmare on Elm Street? My first okay. movie, I feel like I saw Dream Warriors first. I mean, I okay. know I kind of joked about it in my my intro that I'm a Dream Warrior, but when I think back, like that's the one that stands out the most because, I mean, you know, the, these magazines came out in '89, and I would have been six or six and a half, but. I had already seen some of these because I had an older cousin and he was really, really into these. Like you and him, like you, you and him would have got along like gangbusters because he, <laughs> he was super into Freddy. Like he, I don't know if you remember, but they made like a, a glove similar to like Freddy's only it was like, you know, instead of like knives, it was like little plastic knives. And it had oh, like, yeah, 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 yeah. he had that. And then when he, when he got married and moved away, he left it behind and I, I didn't steal it. I saved it. <laughs> so, and I've still got that glove, but like, that's how much he was into Freddy. Like he that, had that. That was, that was like for like a Halloween costume or something, right? Like that's kind of what I remember. They had all these things you could mail away for like Freddy, Freddy latex masks and you know, the finger knives and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if it was a Halloween costume or not. I just remember he had that, that glove and he would okay. like, he would just put it on and pretend it was Freddy. So maybe, Maybe he lost the rest of the costume, or it just it just didn't survive. But he, you know, he had that. And when he moved, instead of being like, "Hey, dude, I found your glove," I just kind of decided to keep it, and mm. you know, like I've still got it. I'm pretty sure Dream Warriors was the first one I saw, and my history is pretty much tied to that cousin. Like anytime these movies were on, if they were on HBO or if they were like edited and on USA or or TNT or whatever, like. We would just sit down and watch them, and you know we would watch them with our granny, and she she would always say the same thing. She would be like, "Oh, I don't know if you boys should be watching this," and that was the most resistance. She would just say, <laughs> <laughs> "So, I, I mean, you were you were pretty young for for even Dream Warriors, and and even a, a, the further we get into the franchise, I, I'm just making an assumption. But did you get a chance to see any of these in the theater? The only two I got to see in the theater, I don't know if you're going to count them, were Freddy vs. Jason mm-hmm. and the, the reboot. 
Oh, okay, okay, interesting. I didn't even, I didn't even think about the reboot. But no, 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 no. That 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 counts. That that that's fine. So I guess because I, I I was I was thinking about this like, and I do remember like I have distinct memories like like w- what I remember most distinctly is, and this theater doesn't exist anymore. But there was a a theater in the New Park Mall area if anybody's local to me and knows what the hell I'm talking about but y- you would either you know you would either go to Century East or Century West and I think I think that was Century East I forget which was which right but you would either go to one or the other right and and that one was in the the New Park Mall and what's funny is like my first my most first distinct memory of of the the franchise was not a movie I saw in the theater. Like it was just realizing the magnitude of the popularity of it, I guess, because I remember we were there to see some other movie and it was like the concession stand and whatever. And I was going to walk up to the concession stand and we were going to get some stuff or whatever. And you could see nightmare four was playing on multiple screens and right as I was going to walk up to the concession stand, it was like Nightmare 4, like one of those theaters, you know, one of the theaters had just finished screening it. And there were like shit tons of people coming out, but there were shit tons of people lined up to go into that same theater. So it was like, it was just swarms of people, like just, you know, all over the place and everything. And I was just kind of like, what the fuck is that for? You know what I mean? Like, and I just, you know, and it was like the first time I remember noticing like, like how popular that was, you know? And I, I don't think I had too much of a concept of what it was or anything like that. And I wasn't, I mean, it, it took a while for me to get into to horror movies. I guess, like, if you think about it, right, I, I was what 77 to 88 89 i don't know like like when this comic came out i was about 11 or whatever probably right so i i I always like to say i didn't get into it until i was a teenager but maybe it was a few years earlier than that or whatever but i just remember based on the popularity of that like so many people saw that movie in the theater and when it came out on home video it was like one of these things where there there i i told you a story earlier about a kid who was into freddie and that was i was friends with or whatever and I, I think, like, if I remember the the conversation correctly, it was like one of those things where I think my dad had rented Nightmare Four, or they we had some kind of discussion about it, and he's like, "Oh yeah, it's a fun movie, it's a good movie." And then he rented it, or so I don't know, something like that. And I kind of feel like my parents had seen some of those movies before, and maybe said, "Oh, you don't want to watch this? Like, go go run in the other room, or what? You know what I mean? Like, like maybe I I, I get the vibe like at some point they had rented." nightmare on elm street like the original or something like that and and they just kind of said oh you wouldn't be interested in this and you know trying to protect me from it or whatever the deal was right like and and uh, so i i had never seen the first three movies and so the first movie i think i ever saw on home video was nightmare on elm street 4 and then by then you know i don't know what i'm 11 going on 12 like by then it was like I could go to the video store and say, oh, I want to rent this, that, and this. And n- nobody really, you know what I mean? Like, no, nobody was like, no, you can't rent that. I mean, that that was kind of like my gold mine. That's where I discovered, like, all this stuff where I was like, oh, are there any scantily clad, like, babes on the cover? What What's this Slave Girls from Beyond Infinity thing? Like, I'm renting this. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I brought home, like, whatever was of interest to a, you know, 
a, a young prepubescent, you know, teenage boy. And sometimes it was, you know, filmation Shazam cartoons. And sometimes it was shit like this. Sometimes it was fucking bad taste. And I was like, why do people like this Peter Jackson guy? This movie's horrible. <laughs> you know, like, so, you know, anyway, so it, it was, it was always that kind of thing. I was experimenting and trying to, to rent different movies and everything and, and, and that whole thing. And, and because of, I think because of the intense popularity of Nightmare 4 and, and Nightmare 4 was very much like, it really mainstreamed the whole thing. I mean, there, there was a little bit of that in Nightmare 3, and Nightmare 3 obviously is the better movie, right? But but I, I felt like Nightmare 4 just, it, it that really popularized Freddy, you know, less so as a, I don't know, like that's, that's that point where people tried to make Freddy their friend, you know what I mean? Or everybody thought he was like super cool or some crap like that, and that rolled over into you know, the dream child nightmare five and all this stuff. And in between that time, I, I would say is when these, these Marvel magazines came out and, you know, uh, you think about it at the same time. I mean, you, you know how we like to talk about how Star Trek's generations came out at the, the Zenith of Star Trek's popularity. Like Star Trek was on the cover of time and all this bullshit. I feel like, like this, you know, 1989, 1988, whatever, that was the Zenith of, of Freddy Krueger's popularity. You know what I mean? Like Nightmare 4 had made a shit ton of money and everybody was like, great, now we can sell, we can sell dolls. We can sell, you know, like you said, Halloween gloves. We can sell, you know, prop replicas or whatever it was. You know, we can sell these latex masks. We can sell, you know, model kits and, and all this kind of stuff and, 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 and matchbox dolls that, you pull the string and they they say little catchphrases and crap like that. So they, they they had all this stuff going on. And in addition to that, you know, someone somewhere along the way said, hey, you know, we should we should make a comic book out of this. And of course, they made it a Marvel magazine, which, again, you know, like Elvira, like Tomb of Dracula, like, you know, I don't know, even the Rampaging Hulk or whatever. Right. Like like all these things or, or even, you know, the, the zombie books and stuff, you know, it's like, it's this very atmospheric, you know, black and white type magazine. But yeah, that's, that's kind of my, my, it's like, I, I remember nightmare four was the first movie I saw and I went back and watched the VHS tapes of one, two and three. And, and, you know, of course four was on VHS five was the first movie I got to see in the theater. I think my dad took me to that. And then Freddy's Dead I saw in the theater. And I have memories of that too because it was the same it was the same theater. I think that theater got all the Freddy movies. You know the the, the that one, you know, cinema, you know, west or east or whatever the hell it was called, the one in the New Park Mall. But I remember waiting in line and and my and it was funny cuz you could tell these two kids in front of us were like not old enough to buy the tickets and like it was just funny because i think my dad was just like yeah they're all with us you know so he was like the quote-unquote parental you know like person or whatever just so the kids could buy their own tickets and get in to see it or whatever and and then and then i think we all went in and those kids just went off on their own and you know did whatever but i i think if it wasn't for my dad just being like yeah they're with us no problem you know like that thing then they wouldn't have sold them the tickets or whatever uh, yeah so that i saw in the theater and and i did see uh, much later obviously you know jason versus freddy in that was that was that was kind of in my i don't know it wasn't in my last days of of 
Uh, well, almost, but I mean, it, it was pretty close to to uh, the the last time I was living in Los Angeles. I mean, it's it's not right right up to the very end, but it's it's pretty close. Like, you know, up up until that point. And I never saw. Well, I, I saw the remake, but I never saw it in a in a theater or whatever. So that's that. You know, and then of course there's uh, you know I, did I mention like Freddy's Nightmares? Like Freddy's Nightmares was on TV, so that's part of that whole zenith. Like I I have memories of watching like Coffee TV twenty. That was like the local thing, the local station that played like Twilight Zone and all this stuff, but. I would always stay up, you know, and watch that. And like, if I ever taped episodes of Freddy's Nightmares, it usually would start with, you know, we've got what you're looking for, TV 20. And there's like a little dog like falling over on the couch or something stupid like that or whatever. But yeah, usually that would lead into like the Freddy's Nightmare song and all that kind of stuff. can tell I, I i i did get into this so i definitely was the guy who would be you know cheerleading freddy krueger against jason or whatever so i've got i've got some uh, you know synopses i kind of i mean basically what i did was i tried to you know clean it up because you know as i'm always lamenting can no one write in english on the internet anymore and clearly the answer is no i i took some synopses from different places i i got a lot of information from nightmare on and I sort of cobbled together some stuff and and added my own spin to it. But we'll, we'll go ahead and we'll read a synopsis from issues one and two, and then me and Justin will discuss what we what we thought of the issues. An ambulance arrives at the home of Roger and Patty Hayes, who find their daughter Allison near death in her bed. She is slashed and burnt with no hint of who attacked her. In New York City. Dr. Julianne Quinn is preparing to leave the city and her boyfriend Doug for a job offer at the Weston Hills Psychiatric Hospital in her hometown of Springwood, Ohio. Quinn intends to apply her psychiatric skills in an investigation of a most perplexing phenomenon. Many of the town's teenagers suffer from nightmares about deceased child killer Freddy Krueger and often die shortly afterward. It turns out Quinn is dreaming and has a nightmare about Freddy Krueger. Hiya, Jules. Wanna meet your perfect match? However, she wakes when her cigarette lights fire to her bed. Back at the Springwood Medical Center, Freddy attacks Allison when she's placed under general anesthesia while undergoing surgery. Allison fights back against Freddy, and the doctors chalk up her recovery to being a fighter. They tell the parents, it was as if her body tried to die, but her spirit wouldn't allow it. 
Meanwhile, Quinn is on her way to Springwood by plane, reading about Amanda Kruger's horrific rape at our Lady of Sorrows Institution for the Mentally Ill. She continues to have nightmares about Freddy while dozing off on the flight. The dossier on one Frederick Kruger continues to detail his adoption and the death of his adoptive parents by thieves who sell him to twisted caretakers. Eventually, Kruger would kill his cruel surrogate family and become the serial child killer from the films. Quinn gets a room at the Springwood Inn where she continues to have Freddy Krueger-filled nightmares, but she uses her own dream control techniques to keep Freddy at bay. The next morning, Quinn meets her first patient, young Allison Hayes, who is relieved that her new doctor understands what is actually happening. Using Quinn's dream techniques, the two women enter the dream world together atop a mountain. Allison heals her injuries and transforms into a wrestler when Freddy comes on the scene. Soon, the ground of the mountain opens out from under the ladies, and they are trapped within what turns out to be Freddy Krueger's brain. And of course, that is to be continued in issue number two, Dream Stalkers Part Two. Allison and Dr. Quinn enter the dream world to confront the ghastly Freddy Krueger. But no sooner do they arrive does Freddy find them, and he isn't about to let them go. Within Freddy's nightmare realm, Allison must uncover the secret of her own dream powers to save Dr. Quinn and Springwood's children from the infamous dream killer. Freddy's gigantic brain turns into a torrent of slime that continues to suffocate Allison and Dr. Quinn. Quinn is separated from Allison and soon finds herself about to be clawed by Freddy in his boiler room. Luckily, Allison taps into her dream powers and becomes a living ball of fire that takes down Freddy long enough for the two sleepers to awaken to safety. Dr. Quinn has Allison take the dream suppressant medication Hypnosil after their first encounter with Freddy. Exploring Allison's memory of her first dream encounter with Freddy, Quinn learns that she is a talented but amateur dream stalker. Unfortunately, Allison will not be allowed to take Hypnosil once she's transferred to the Weston Hills Psychiatric Hospital due to the scandal from three years ago. Back at the motel, Quinn goes on to take a shower before bed, but she's actually already asleep. Her dream takes place in the Oval Office, where Freddy is sitting in the president's chair. As Quinn runs down the hall, Freddy pops out from George Washington's presidential portrait, stabbing her in the stomach. With Quinn dead, Allison is reassigned to the unsympathetic Dr. Watley as a patient. Allison mentally prepares for her next encounter with Freddy by creating sketches of her dream self-growth. Allison battles Freddy as a dream warrior and ultimately takes on a similar appearance to Kruger, fighting fire with fire. When Freddy sees how bloodthirsty Allison can be, he offers his hand in truce. Allison doesn't hesitate and stabs him instead, but a wounded Freddy leads her through a door back into the real world where she ends up attacking Dr. Watley while sleepwalking. Watley then orders Allison to be sedated and locked up in the secure ward as we hear the Elm Street children rhyming in the background. 
and that hopefully is uh, detailed enough, but but not too long synopsis of the two Marvel magazines, Freddy Krueger's A Nightmare on Elm Street, Part 1 and Part 2 of Dream Stalkers. So I, I have a, a shit ton of notes here, Justin, and Justin knows because he's looking at all the notes right now, and he's like, holy fuck. But I just want to ask Justin, like, is this the first time you've ever read this? And, and if it is, like, what did you think of it? You know, I was reading these and I was like, I don't think I've ever read read these before. But then I got to issue two when Allison was fighting Freddy and I was sitting there and I was like, wait, doesn't she turn into Freddy or she puts on his clothes or something? And I was flipping through the pages and I was like, oh, she did. So I, I think, you know, that, that same cousin, I think he had at least issue uh-huh. two and I just you know, flipping through it, that that came back to me. But aside from that, like, I had no memory of these. So, I mean, I'm pretty much, I, I, you know, aside from that faint memory, I'm pretty much coming to these new. And I thought these were great. I mean, the art on both issues is great. It's so moody. And it the thing I really like is that these two issues, you know, the story is incomplete, unfortunately. But these two issues feel like they could have easily been adapted into a movie or something like I, like that's i think that's how good they are mm. and they're also very like they're you know <laughs> i mean there's a warning illustrated horror for mature readers and yeah. then the scene that got me well there's two scenes but the first one that got me was when they're operating on allison and her guts come out of her body and start yeah. to strangle her. I was like, oh, holy cow. So <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah. like you, you could easily see that in one of the movies because it's it's definitely something like like I can just easily imagine like the practical effects of like the guts coming out and strangling her and Freddie going, ha, 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 ha. Well, yeah, I mean, even even when the it's like it's like that whole riff where it's like the doctors but then they pull away the surgical mask and then it turns out to be freddy and stuff like that like that's a total freddy movie trope and he even says like while while strangling her it's like oh what's the matter honey upset stomach you know like (laughs) like you can you can hear him saying that kind of stuff i mean you know uh, say what I will about Steve Gerber. He definitely got the the voice of this yeah. down. You know, like this is this this was. You know, if if you were if you were expecting something specific when you're reading a Freddy Krueger comic, you know this this clearly like delivered that. Yeah. And the other sequence that got me, and you have a note about it, the uh, the backstory for Amanda Krueger. I was. Mm. Man, like that—that was—that was brutal. Like I—I—I I, yeah. I, I have a theory about that, but no, no, please, please, just from from your perspective, like elaborate on that for for the listeners. I I wasn't expecting it to go that deep into it. I mean, she she's in the films, and we get to mm-hmm. know a little bit about her, you know. But they, when it comes to her backstory. I feel like it's more implication and here yeah. we see it clear as day. It's like, she's going up there. Like she, she's so kind and compassionate that she wants to try and help these, you know, the, like the worst of the worst, the criminally insane who are locked away. Like she's going in, she can hear their moans. She, she wants to help them and comfort them, but that's, 
it's completely the wrong thing to do because I mean like they there's that scene where like she just gets punched in the face and yeah. it's it's brutal and then I mean they they don't show her getting you know violated or anything but it's 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 pretty heavy I mean I don't know yeah I'm like, I, wasn't I, I, that. I think it is you, you know what you know what cracks me up is and I'm I'm gonna try to find the because i i put aside a bunch of different quotes and everything but like this is this is me with my my tinfoil hat right so i i have no evidence because because there's there's really nothing as far as i know there's nothing on record that says why rich buckler stopped working on this book like there, there is one thing that that steve gerber says and and that's what I'm looking for right now. But I, I have my own tinfoil theory, so you'll bear with me here for a second. Oh, here we go. Who's your artist? Gerber. That's a real good question. Laughter. The first issue was penciled half by Rich Buckler and half by Tony DiZuniga and inked entirely about by Alfredo Alcala. The second issue is entirely DiZuniga and Alcala. Buckler quit in the middle of the first issue for reasons unclear to me. I do know it didn't have anything to do with the content of the story. It was some kind of editorial conflict or financial problem or something. After the first two issues, I know there are other artists who will be, who will be coming on. And then he goes on to talk about like their future plans and everything like that. And then uh, Amazing Heroes. This is what this is from, an interview from Amazing Heroes. And Amazing Heroes is like, well, I guess for burned scar tissue, you probably can't beat Alcala. And he laughs and says, this is true. The burns are very realistic in the first issue. I think that's bullshit. I, I think that's total PR bullshit. I think... I think Rich Buckler drew this. You, you know what page Rich Buckler stops working on this? You, you, we talk about that scene. He stops on page 22. That's two pages. No, no, one page. Two, one or two pages after the end of that hor horrific rape sequence. Like, I think he did that and was just like, he felt fucking dirty and took like ten showers and couldn't <laughs> couldn't even handle it. And he's just like, dude, I I can't do this anymore. And he's like, later for this shit, like, cause that that sequence is, you know, and I I don't even know. I, I was trying to think about this, cause cause when when I read this, uh, you know, I was what like eleven or something. Like I I don't know that that totally penetrated, you know. Like I I don't know, but like it. it like now, like th this is my note on it. Now it has that that Oz effect on me, you know, HBO Oz, where like you're you're trying to empathize and relate and identify with Amanda Kruger. You're kind of like, oh look, this guy's you know, you know, beating the stone, you know, the the stone, you know, floor with his bare hands, and he's basically you know injuring himself and she's trying to prevent that right and you can understand that but that same dude's the one who punches her in the face and starts trying to have his way with her and then and then another crazy guy just throws the keys out the door and they slam the door shut not to get released but to trap her there with all of them you know and it's just it's so like just horrible like you 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 know and the oz effect for me is you 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 have to you're forced to shut that 
identification down. Like you, you can't relate to the guy who gets butt raped in prison. Like that's, that's the Oz effect, right? Like you can't, you can't relate to that guy. You almost can't admit that you ever did relate to that guy. You know what I mean? Like, and, and, and this is very much like if, if, if there's any ounce of self-identification you have with a character like that, it, it, to me, it just, you, you totally have to shut it all off because of, of how horrific the sequence is. And like you said, I, I think you said it perfectly too. Like I wasn't sure how to address that, but the, the films it's, it's insinuated, right? Like, like in the third film, she's an old lady, you know, like that comes like as a ghostly apparition. And half the time she's, she's, you know, mysteriously vanishing, uh, vanishing kind of fucking Batman style. You know, she'll come and talk to, to Nancy or some shit. And then, you know, she'll pull a Batman and they'll turn around and be like, and, and, and yes. And what, where did she go? You know, and all that shit. And you realize by the end of it, you know, Oh, it's the, it's the ghost of Amanda Kruger. And she was trying to look out for these kids. Cause you know, she, she was trying to you know balance the scales or whatever. And then I, I know, you know, it, this is something we discussed too, before we started talking, but these comics came out maybe a few weeks before, the dream child came out and the dream child I think has a much younger version of Amanda Kruger. And there is a, a sequence. I don't want to say similar to this. It's actually much more outlandish or comical. I, I don't know what the right way to describe it is. Cause it's a, it's still a serious moment. You know, the, the, the son of a thousand maniacs thing and they bring it back right where at the end of the dream child, he gets, Freddie gets thrown into the son of a, you know, he gets thrown into the thousand maniacs and they like rip him apart and everything. And it's this kind of goofy scene with, you know, one, one maniac has his arm and the other maniac has his leg and all this kind of shit or whatever. Right. But, but there's that aspect where they tried to explore that, that backstory, you know, less, less insinuated, but I think this is the first time it ever was explored. And it's, there's a, to me, there's like a verisimilitude to it, and there's also like that that creepy ass Twilight Zone thing to it, where it's like, you, you know, it's it's like that thing of you know don't don't open the latch for the fucking guy to become the devil and walk the earth and shit. You know that one episode of Twilight Zone. It's it's very similar. It's like it's like you're sitting there screaming at her to like don't take that fucking key. Who cares that that asshole's beating himself to death and moaning? Because you you kind of know what's coming, you know. So like that's yeah, definitely. Definitely, definitely a, a horrific moment. So you think Rich Buckler finished drawing that sequence and then he was like, okay, what's next? Oh, a home invasion where a man gets stabbed in the chest and a lady gets shot in the back of the head. I think I'm done. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I can think, see that. I, I think, I, I mean, despite what, what Steve Gerber's saying, like mm -hmm. this this PR spin of, I know it didn't have anything to do with the story. <laughs> you know, I, I, I feel like he had that... Uh, he had that uh, moment where he was like, fuck this shit. You know? <laughs> he was like, later for this, you know, like, I don't know. You know, I, I like, again, this is just me with my, my tinfoil hat. So it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really mean anything one way or the other. I have no, I have no evidence of that or whatever. I, I don't know. Before we get too far, can we talk about the covers? Cause, cause this is like this, this Joe Jesco masterpieces and stuff like, like for me, like, again, you know, I, I sort of hinted at this in the Elvira episode, but but these for me were spinner rack books. 
Like they, you, you know what I remember about this though? Like I, I also think, and, and, you know, I, I know people don't listen to this or whatever, but like, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I think if, uh, if Andrew Leyland ever listened to this, it's like, th- this is also harkens back to that whole thing of when you would read all those, those, uh, mail away comic ads and it'd be like, you know, Freddy Krueger's a nightmare on Elm street. Number one, hot. You know, limited five copies. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like yeah. they want you to buy multiple copies, but it's hot, and you're supposed to buy a bunch of them and stuff. And my memory of it was, like, I I, I did both, right? Like, my memory is, I because because for sure, like this this issue two that I'm holding up is the original one that I bought from the spinner rack because it's got the UPC code and it's all kind of banged up and has like creases on the you know the spine and all that kind of good stuff. And the issue one doesn't have the UPC code. It's just a little white box. So you could tell it was some kind of direct market thing. And and if I recall correctly, I, I you know, I don't know if you guys have it or not or what happened to all of them or whatever, you know. But but I know I sent some, I thought, to you and Tony or something like that. Cause I, I have I had multiple copies of this. And the, I think the reason why I had them, I don't, you know, anymore, right? But I think the reason why I had duplicates of the first issue was because I probably bought these off the, you know, quote unquote spinner rack. You know, I went to the 7-Eleven and they were on the magazine rack and I bought them. But I think also like I I went into some of those, you know, mail away things. And, and since it was like hot limit two or, you know, like whatever it was. Right. Like I I bought the limit thinking, oh, boy, I'm going to have this this hot collector's item, this fright-filled first issue, you know, like that kind of thing. So that that's kind of my memory to that. But, like, the, the first cover's got, like, Freddy, and in the palm of his hand is presumably, because I, I presume it's it's Julianne Quinn, because she's got the dark brown hair and everything, and she's in her, like, little nighty or whatever. And then, and then the second issue, it's a blonde, so I'm assuming that's supposed to be Allison. And that that's even more kind of esoteric and dreamy because it's like it's like allison's in some kind of almost lingerie or whatever which is it's kind of decidedly maybe not what you would expect from the character within the issue but she's she's on the run from freddie but freddie is like this personified tree you know like almost i, I don't know what it reminds me of something, but I can't quite put my finger on it. Like, like, are there, are there other characters out there that are trees with, you know, a head and arms and things like that? I don't know, but it, it, I, I feel like I'm missing something. Like that, it's clearly inspired by something, but I just don't know what it is. But it, it you know, that that cover blurb is like, Freddy's your guide in the garden of gruesome delights. You know, so it's like. But I mean, both these covers just, I mean, I, I love Joe Jesco's stuff. Like I, I can't, I can't uh, gush enough about it. So, I, I mean, I think both of these are just beautiful and stuff, but I, I don't know what you think about them or if, if you have anything to add to the, the Freddie tree dilemma I'm having or, or whatever. First thing that comes to mind, and it's not exactly like what you're thinking of, but I, I was thinking of the trees from Wizard of Oz. Oh. Like they, they don't have like, a head like Freddy has, but they are, you know, kind of like a, a person tree that are kind of, yeah, they're, they're menacing. Um, I mean, you know me, like I'm a big fan of Joe Jesco too. So I think both of these are great. Like, I mean, 
I think I prefer the cover for issue two because there's uh, some cheesecake there, as you pointed out, yeah. and yeah. that's really nice. But then issue one, that cover, like the Freddy and the look on his face, and then mm-hmm. you got like this fiery looking background, like he's in hell somewhere, and he's holding. Uh, is that Allison or the? Uh, the I think I think it's the doctor because she's got the the brunette hair. But yeah. that that's just my take. But you look at that cover and you're just like, yep, that's that's Freddy. He's in hell and he's about to get this lady, like whoever she is. Like it's it's yeah. just a really great menacing cover. And then, like I said, the other one I really like because of the the cheesecake factor. But I've I mean I've been a fan of Jessica's for a long time because he did he did I think like a set of like. Well, I don't know if he did, like, every card, but he did some art for, like, an Edgar Rice Burroughs set of, like, trading cards. And then, you know, he did all those, like, what, Savage sort of Conan covers. And, you know, he did some, like, what, uh, X-Men trading card art and yeah, yeah, other he stuff. Did, he did X-Men trading cards. Like, the the stuff, I know I had him sign my, my She-Hulk at, like, Venice Beach poster or whatever. Yeah. And, then, and then for the longest time, I was looking for that Silver Surfer poster of the... The dust jacket cover to Judgment Day, the the Silver Surfer graphic novel. That's the one that's on like the the box art to like the 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 NES video game and stuff like that. It's 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 a beautiful piece, and I eventually did find. I mean, it's got some pinholes in it and some stuff like that, but I eventually found one that wasn't like you know, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, hundreds of dollars basically. You know, so I was like, oh, okay, cool. But I, yeah, I love his stuff. So, I mean, and, and, and anytime you see it on here, like he did, he did a crap ton of Punisher covers too, like specifically like the Marvel magazine stuff and, and, and then a lot of the war journals and things like that. So there's, there's all kinds of cool stuff that, that he worked on that had an impact on me at a very, I guess, young and impressionable age, you know? Yeah. And then I guess getting back to what you were talking about, I mean, immediately after that, then you have the the home invasion, right? Like, which again, I, I feel like that that's kind of, you know, I mean, I'm probably going to get into trouble here, but I, I feel that's kind of like Gerber, you know, showing his hand, you know, like, like having some kind of, you know, gun commentary, you know, that the fact that the, in the home invasion, even though the, the, the father figure has the gun, you know, that, that there's still, you know, this, this massive, you know, I mean, essentially what he's saying is the, the, the guy had the gun, he didn't kill any of the home invaders, but his wife got shot in the head with the gun and he was stabbed to death. So he's basically saying that that's, you know, I, I mean, his take on that or his take on that in this story is that that all proved worthless, right? But I kind of think if he had just not shot to wound and if he just shot the fucking guy in the head and the other girl in the head, then we wouldn't be having this conversation and Freddie might not even exist. So that's that's my take on it. Yeah, I, 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 I for me, my issue is he only he only shoots to wound or whatever. So that's that's kind of my my take on it. The the adoptive I don't I don't know what you call I mean it's it's weird to call him adoptive father, but I kind of refer to them as the cruel caretakers of freddy you know but but the idea that this guy walter fingal like and then and then his i don't know his trick wife or whatever she is you know like the idea that that he was raised by a couple that would abuse him is interesting to me because 
I know you you would ask before, like, is is there any other reference in this outside of Nightmare on Elm Street three? Because there there are quite a few references to Nightmare on Elm Street three, like ex- explicitly referring to the third movie. And and this is not a reference to this movie because it didn't exist yet. But this is the first time I I can remember them talking about Freddy's upbringing. You know, like like outs. You know, it's like I I know there there were a number of episodes on Freddy's nightmares, the TV series that dealt with like the the actual trial and the the you know the the case that was going on and the parents going to burn him and all that kind of stuff. But it didn't deal with his upbringing, but it wasn't until like Freddy's dead. I think that they, they, they had these little flashes to like a young Freddy, you know, like when I can't remember the character's name, but there's that, that doctor that turns out to be Freddy's daughter in that, you know, like the, in, in Freddy's dead, like where she's going through all these flashes of Freddy's backstory and history. And of course, you know, Alice Cooper is his dad in that, you know, like, where he's like, come on, boy, I got to take your punishment. You know, he's like whipping him with the, the belt or whatever. And he's like, and then the, the young guy they have playing, I guess, a young Robert England or whatever is just sitting there laughing like more, please. You know, like he's into the he's into the pain, I guess, is supposed to be what they're trying to get at with with that sequence. But I mean, in, in this case, like I, I felt like the way they leave those characters. I mean, eventually Freddie kills them, right? For for their abuse, you know, he he gets his comeuppance. But the 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 way he writes rotten hell with razors, much like he was abused with razors on the the dead adoptive father's corpse, that that's a total reference to Nightmare on Elm Street 3 because he was always doing that you know, the, the, the cuts that were happening on people's chest all by themselves, you know, like, like through the dream world and stuff like that. So, you know, and then they talk about, I I guess just keeping on that nightmare three track, you know, they talk about hypnosil, they talk about the, the events that happened at the psychiatric center, you know, basically referring to all the deaths in nightmare three, you know, so there's, there's a lot of references to, to nightmare three. Definitely. I mean, I think, I think this whole, like dream stalker thing. I mean, certainly a lot of it is dream warriors related, but I I think you could make the argument that some of this is dream master related. You know what I mean? Like that he's trying to set up another protagonist. That's not Alice for Freddy Krueger in these comics. And, and the fact that like Allison kind of has like a different take on the powers. Like there's a little bit of dream master esqueness in it i think too i have a question it kind of gets into how he acquired his powers and it's like mm. after he after he kills his adoptive parents who kidnapped him or whatever it says that he spent a lot of time just sleeping outdoors regardless of the weather and then it's like you see him like, like he's dreaming he's like in a field and there's this dreamlike woman like coming towards him and he kills her and it's like you know, during this time, he he learned to control his dreams, and I was like, okay, I I kind of expected a little more than just he was homeless and he slept outside a lot, and he was able to, you know, take control of his dreams and 
to it violently and enjoyed it. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I mean that that's something that they were always very tight-lipped about in the movies. And then by mm-hmm. the time you got to Freddy's Dead, I mean, you can argue that's just as equally as stupid, right? Because you had those three, you know, I forget what they were, but the dream demons that were like, you know, in the 3D that were coming out going, ho, 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 or whatever, you know, and they'd, they'd like you know, the, the stupid heads would like fly up in, in the front of the screen because it was for, you know, the 3D effect or whatever. But like in that, they, they kind of made it seem like he made some kind of bargain with with these demons. Like I, I, I've, I'll i live forever in dreams and get my vengeance and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, th- th- this is this is something that's always been interesting to me because you know how I said my mom didn't really care about too much stuff? Like, I mean, there were things she did care about, right? But, but, and, and I think this was one of them, right? But the, 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 there were things where, you know, like I said, Elvira wasn't a big deal. Like, uh, let me put it this way like, like, I, she sat down, she made me dinner, and then we watched Hellraiser together because she liked Hellraiser, right? Like, and I was kind of like, man, like, like, I don't know that I should be eating food watching this mom. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't think about that. But she liked Hellraiser, right? And so we watched. So I'm, I'm just putting this in perspective. Like right. we, we did things like that. And that was fine, right? Because she could wrap her head around Hellraiser, right? But whenever she had a, a uh, opposition to something, like you you would know about it right like and 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 there there were things where you know she was stubborn about certain things and you couldn't you couldn't talk her out of it or convince her otherwise and in some cases i don't know that that i even you know to me i don't even know that i can uh, uh no prize but 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 you know like one thing she hated i'll just you know i've talked about this many times one thing she hated she hated movies where Santa Claus was the killer or or when people were dressed up as Santa Claus, like Silent Night, Deadly Night. She yeah. was like that to her. That was like blasphemous and <laughs> didn't didn't you know, it's like it, it just she hated stuff like that. So like mm. anything, anytime somebody was dressed up like Santa, even in and it's ironic because I said she grew up like reading Tales from the Crypt and all that stuff. But I'm pretty sure she didn't like the the you know, the one story where yeah. the guy comes home dressed up as Santa and kills either Joan Collins or kills uh I forget who it is in the 89, you know, the HBO thing or whatever. But anyway, so so there's there's that kind of thing. But the thing she could never get her head past. And the reason why I dovetailed into this is because it applies to what you're asking about with Freddy's origins. Like it always bothered her that Freddy's origin is tied to like like the parents of children that were murdered burned him to death and now he's seeking vengeance on their children she never viewed that from freddie's point of view she viewed it from the parents point of view and her attitude is why does he get vengeance he doesn't deserve it mm-hmm. do you know what i like in other words yeah. like like in other words like 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 to, to her like it, it would make sense like if somehow you know, someone was wronged, but like, you know, I don't know, like say, say like you're, you're a witch in medieval, you know, Salem witch trials or something like that. And say you did nothing to nobody. You grew some flowers and, and your flowers were so nice and everybody was jealous of you because your flowers looked so nice. 
And then they're like, oh, she must be a fucking witch. And then they throw her into the lake and she drowns and whatever. Right. But then in this, it's like, you know, some kind of tales from the crypt thing. It's like, oh, I'm a fucking zombie and I eat your brains and everything like that. I think my mom could get behind that because she's like, look, she didn't do anything to anybody. They accused her of being a witch. They drowned her. Then she became a zombie, came out and eat all those guys like they they had it coming. Right. Like they they did something mean. And now they're they're getting a comeuppance. But like what what I think my mom could never wrap her head around was this guy was a, mole- a child molester and a child killer. And then he got what he deserved. But somehow now he's back for vengeance. And it's kind of like that that never that 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 was like, you know, I, I you know, my mom was like nomad and and this this movie was Captain Kirk. You know what I mean? Like she's just not compute. <laughs> you know like like that you'd never convince her, right? That that made any that 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 made any kind of logical sense that that had any place in a morality tale. And and I think I think that's what's confusing about this sequence to you too, right? Like not not only they they don't have any dream demons, which I I don't think is that reasonable of an origin either, right? But in this, it, you know, it's like they 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 have the line where it says obviously such a claim must be viewed with skepticism, right? Cuz it's like maybe he's just a crazy dude and he stayed outside you know, homeless, crazy dude, and he thinks he can control his dreams. And then and then this, what, what do you call it, psychotic delusion that he has, right? Some, they, they say how he couldn't d- distinguish between dreams and the real world, and he started, you know, killing kids and taking them to the boiler room and all that stuff. So, so if, if you wanted to look at it as strictly just a realistic dossier right like nobody who's writing this dossier in the in the universe right it's like the guy writing this dossier is the guy from terminator 2 who doesn't believe in the terminators until the terminators come to the the psychiatric ward you know what i mean like that's who's writing this dossier so he's never gonna admit like oh yes they're dream powers that people have and all that other stuff but i mean if you're taking the if you're trying to look at some explanation for the lore of it i mean i part of me wonders if it's like a thing where it's it, it's semi forbidden to delve too much into the origins because they wanted to save that for themselves in the films or or if you know i don't know somebody like gerber might have an interview and be like no i had carte Blanc and i did whatever i wanted and this was my idea you know like and it's like well i mean i i don't know that it's like the greatest idea in the world i mean it's got to got like the whole Robert England, you know, scraggly hair, but it's like, who is this woman? Does it matter? Like, it's like, it's like, is his dream woman? Is that like supposed to be his birth mother? You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know what it's supposed to be. You know what I mean? So I don't, I don't know, you know? And it, it, it's just like, that's, I guess I don't have a, a reasonable answer for you other than, you know, it's like, to me, it's, it, it seems like it's part, psychotic delusion but then at, somewhere along the way you know that that became some kind of i don't know dream reality or something you asked me about other references specifically on page 34 when when freddy comes out of allison's body like that to me is is an allusion or a nod to Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Because you, you know the part where, like, 
you know, it's it, the, the, the main character in that is Jesse and Freddy's inside him. So it's like there's that moment where oh. he's he goes and meets his his buddy or whatever. And he's trying like not to not to kill anybody. He's like, I just need you to watch me while I sleep. And if I move, you know, clonk me on the head and all that other shit. And 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 so when when he he, you know, basically you can see like Freddy's eyeball in the guy's mouth as he's screaming. And then eventually he rips open out of the kid's stomach and there's all this cool prosthesis and stuff like that. When, when, when Freddie rips out of Allison in one of Julianne's dreams, like that's very reminiscent to me of nightmare two. And then if you look at that same page, like him jumping on the bed, like that to me is very nightmare one. Like Johnny like, Depp's death. Well, yeah, Johnny Depp's death, the way the blood comes up out of the bed, but mm-hmm. even, even the panel before that, like that reminds me of when, you you remember the the first girl he kills in Nightmare One, Tina? I mean that's that's mm. kind of how Tina died. Like he jumped on the bed and they they pull off the sheets and he's like, "What the fuck's under there?" You know, and it's like it's just her like moving up and down the you know the 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 ceiling or whatever you know like that kind of thing. Like so like all that stuff. It, it seems like he took imagery from from all those films and stuff like that. A couple pages back on page 32, like, I, I don't know, this just stands out to me because I redrew this panel for, like, my own superhero comic books. I was having, like, one of my characters, you know, one of my, my hot babe characters take a shower, and I, I, I redrew that panel. It's panel three on page 32. <laughs> so, I, I don't know, like, that that just stands out to me because I spent so much time, like, redrawing it, and I drew it as, like, a splash page because I think I did a... I did an issue of my own comic book where it was like going to be the it, it was sort of like the wedding issue, but it was like all splash pages and stuff. So it was like her getting ready for the wedding or something. I don't know. Anyway, whatever. So that's that that was one of those things. But I mean, you know, ultimately, like the first issue, you know, again, has way more Dream Warriors references than anything. I mean, when you come down to it, like towards the very end, when they go into the dream world and she she kind of becomes like that i'm a lady wrestler you know like like that's that's very much you know taryn's a punk and you know all that kind of stuff from nightmare three so like that's that's clearly a a dream warriors-esque type moment and everything like that i i mean i think that kind of concludes what i had on issue one like issue two there's a a number of pinups we can probably talk about real quick like you know, aside from the Joe Jesco cover, there's a there's a Bob Hall pinup on the interior cover. So that that kind of gives you some nods to, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this later, but maybe some of the where they were headed with the series, because Bob Hall was supposed to do a few issues following these first two magazine issues that never came to fruition. And then if you look they're they're soliciting for letters at the very end of the second issue i think on the copy you read it's just a picture of freddie chasing after a girl and he's coming out of the mailbox but in the in the the magazine it actually says freddie wants to be your pen pal but it's like it's like pain is scratched out and pen is written in there and it's like mail all the letters you know basically they're asking for fan mail so they can publish a letters page which of course never came to pass because the series didn't last long enough to have a letters page but the the girl on the run in that pinup 
or that that letters page thing where Freddy's doing like a Mr. Fantastic out of the post office box or whatever. I kind of thought that the girl he's chasing, like, I mean, it's not a likeness or anything like that, but the way Bob Hall drew the girl, it kind of reminded me of Kelly Maroney, like the, the girl from Night of the Comet. Mm. I don't, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like yeah. I could see, I uh-huh. could see her being in like an Elm Street movie and getting like harassed and chased by <laughs> Freddie in a, you know, in the post office or whatever. That's kind of what that reminded me of. So the the second issue, I mean, it's it's got a pretty decent recap for page one that I could have stolen from there instead of making up my own synopsis or whatever. The 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 whole like they're stuck in Freddy Krueger's brain or his head or whatever. Like it's a coffee mug or something like that that reminds me a lot more of the whole you know nightmare for dream master stuff the rennie harlan stuff that kind of it's like when you know it's like the 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 early kills in west cravens were horrific right like and and had a kind of surreal feel because you're like how does somebody get killed when they're asleep right but yeah i think by the time you got to i mean i i think some of them were a little more conceptual in dream warriors like not to take away from that because you know there's the sleepwalking guy and he makes them you know he he pulls out his his veins like they're mm-hmm. puppet strings and cuts the i mean there there's there's certainly the the quote-unquote avant-garde deaths the 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 kind of outlandish out-of-the-box deaths in in those films as well right but i i, I feel like by the time it got to nightmare four it's like you know they, the the chick turns into the fucking cockroach in the cockroach motel, you know, like there's, you know, want to suck face and the asthma girl turns into like a big, you know, plastic, whatever that he throws away and, and, and shit like that, you know, so there's, there's all this kind of outlandish stuff. And I, I kind of feel like if you were going to see a giant Freddy head with two people like stuck in the slime of his brain, like that would be something that like Rennie Harlan would have done. And even like that fireball of light that, that Allison turns into to chase him away. It kind of reminds me of when Kirsten like gave her powers to Alice, you know, like the, she zapped her or whatever, like that whole kind of, kind of thing. The and and we talked about you know Hypnosil is is from Nightmare Three, the 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 one character that's talked about in this and I imagine they were gonna do a lot more with the character, but they have this Dona Valencia character and you know who she kind of looks like to me. Sorry, she kind of looks like Carrie Fisher a little bit. Oh, okay. I I would have I I don't know that I I made that connection but i'm i'm looking at it and i i sort of see what you're saying especially on the panel where she's like holding her face and on the phone yeah i can see it i can see it the 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 the, you know to me it was like she was supposed to be you know dr quinn's yoda or something you know some some (laughs) something like she she trained her with all Mm -hmm. these dream techniques and you, you you figure at some point maybe you know Allison, you know, presumably she survives because we we have some some next issue solids and everything. Like supposedly, I think she was supposed to return in issue five, and there there was going to be a rematch or something like that, or that that somehow she was going to be one of the main nemesises or nemesi for for Freddie. You know, 
do you think in issue three or four, like this lady would have been jumping around Freddy like Yoda and spinning around and stuff? You, you know what I was wondering? Like, what if it what if it was a feint? Like, what if you, you know how like you think maybe Dr. Quinn's supposed to be the main character and she gets killed and then Allison is is picking up the mantle or taking over as like the 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 last bastion of hope against Freddy. Like what if in the fifth issue, Allison is like Dr. Quinn, like you think the whole issue is going to be about her defeating Freddy, but then she gets killed. And then this, this Donna Valencia character comes in doing Yoda, Mm. you know, Sonic, whatever, spinny things. And then tries to tries to maybe she, it's like a faint where it's like, Oh, Allison was never going to be the nemesis for Freddy. It was going to be this, this lady, you know, Donna Valencia. And it's like, we'll be like, I hate you, Donna, you know, or whatever, you know, like, like that she would be the nemesis or something like that. Cause I mean, I, I guess she's supposed to be the quote unquote OG dream stalker, right? Like, I don't, I don't know. Cause she, she has all those techniques and everything. The dream sequence for Allison, like where she, she remembers the first time she ever met Freddie is, is something I thought was really interesting because yeah. that like, uh, you know, again, uh, I say say what I will about Steve Gerber. He considered the strictest backstory because I, I always felt like the films like because it's like y- you think about it, right? Like he's going after the sons and daughters. You know, he's going after the quote unquote Elm Street children. Right. And 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 you got to think about it. There's there's a group of parents that burned him down because Freddie murdered their children. And then. The, uh, you know, to me, the notion was they were all young parents. Maybe they were in their 20s or, you know, 30s or something like that. And they had these kids. The kids were killed by Freddy. But then they moved on with their lives and had some more kids. So it's like, you know, then you've got, you know, John Saxon, who looks like he's in his late 40s. He's got Nancy, but there was some other child of his that was killed or something like that you know what i mean like like and 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 they're they're, you know their parents are are way older or whatever but now freddie's coming after the new kids right the these other kids that that these parents had as as you know come up in vengeance which my mom couldn't wrap her head around or whatever but allison is not an elm street child allison is just a kid who's kind of is you know got these sort of dream stalker abilities and i guess to to, you know i to to me it cracks me up because i'm like well what the fuck does that mean exactly and and you know what's funny is they don't i i don't know that they necessarily give a good description of what that is in the comic but i think there's something i wrote down or something i took a screenshot of that i just didn't want to forget where they talk about or Gerber talks about what a what a dream stalker is. So here it is. It's from Marvel Age, and it's another interview with Steve Gerber. The first issue introduces two new major characters. One is the aforementioned Allison. She is about 15 years old, Steve says, and she is an inadvertent dream stalker, someone who can hunt through dreams in very much the same way that Freddy can, but who isn't dead. More than that, I don't want to say because it'll give too much of the story away, but let's just say she discovered this ability without knowing what it was first, and in the first couple issues, she comes to know exactly what it is, what it can do, and how it can help her. And, you know, I I think that paragraph explains a little better what the hell a dream stalker is, the fact that she's not, 
she's not dead, but she can traverse the dream world kind of carte blanche or whatever. And she accidentally comes to, I guess, I don't know, Freddy Krueger's personal watering hole. It's like the, the, the star Wars creature cantina of like horror looking people or whatever. Like there's that, it's a really, really like grisly, but kind of awesome two page spread of like Freddie chilling at the bar and there's all these weird like guys with their eyes coming out and chicks with axes stuck in their heads and like acid ridden cheerleaders and babies with straw coming out of their mouths and just all this this strange imagery and of course like like the Star Wars cantina there's this weird kind of I don't know creepy looking band and 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 these, you know, this, I don't know, crazy cats and, and all the ghouls and goblins and all this kind of stuff. And like she accidentally kind of stumbles into it. And I guess the, the, the point is, like, Allison's not a child of Elm Street. And what I always thought was weird about the franchise is and, and they never really they, they kind of ignored this in the films, in my in, in you know, in, in, in my opinion. But it's like. How do they? I mean, at some point, they got to run out of Children of Elm Street, right? <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Like, 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 it's like, it's like. I mean, unless, unless you're talking about like generational shit, where like, you know, it's like if he kills Nancy, Nancy can't live to have a child for Freddy to torment, right? So if Nancy's dead, right, then then that's it, right? Like, I mean, there's no there's no more generational stuff. If 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 you know Kirsten's dead. You know, you know, it's like, oh, well, who's left Alice? And like, why, why does Alice, you know, like, why does Alice even count? Like Alice just moved there. She's not a fucking <laughs> child of the yeah. Elm Street children, but it's like, she, she somehow, you know, like, and, 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 and they tried to sort of explain it in Nightmare 4 where it's like, okay, it's not just about the Elm Street kids anymore. It's about, you know, Freddy's power hungry and he wants people's souls. So then he becomes kind of like Mephisto, right? He's like, it's not so much you're an Elm Street child. It's like, I want to kill you and take your soul. But that's like a little different. You know, and even in Freddy's Dead, they kind of made a joke of it where it's like, you know, fucking Roseanne Barr is there and like they're like, we need kids because there's no kids. And it's like this destitute place where like he stole all the children and everything. So it's like at some point you're going to run out of fucking kids. Right. But this is I thought Allison was a cool way to maybe open that up or expand that and kind of say, hey, he can also run into characters that can be his opponents that maybe aren't tied to his backstory that aren't tied to being the the children of of elm street parents i know you have a note about it but i also thought the little dude in the diaper was like weird too yeah yeah, that's totally weird it's like it's like he's a he's a head like dude it's one of those guys where like if if there was going to be a a movie made out of this i was like don't lead with the big head guy because it didn't work for fucking green lantern and and it, it, it's not going to work for fucking, uh, I don't know, like Modoc or what, you know, like the, these guys with heads and stuff that, 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 that you can make them side characters, but they can't be like the main attraction. But like this dude, like helps out Allison or whatever, like helps her get away. And then like like she she says that the this this creature cantina bar is like a total geek show. And like that, that that's one of my other notes was like that that. I mean, I guess if like Freddie had a pass to the 
the Shadow Packs Oblivion Bar. Like that's what it seems like because the, the the dude with the diaper head is like, dude, she's just a tourist. Like she she accidentally took a wrong turn. Like you don't get to kill her, right? And even when he tries, like he can't because he tries to slash her and the claws like go right through her because she's in control of of her own dream. You know what I mean? And it's it, Freddie's not in charge, so that's what makes her presumably a, a natural antagonist for for Freddie. And 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 I I just think like that that's one thing too is like if if anybody is gonna be you know good at writing the fucking tripping balls dream imagery that's in this it's it's gonna be fucking Steve Gerber right because dude's doing his LSD or whatever the fuck he's doing before he does this and sits down and and there's some really like weird ass fucking shit in this and I, I presume. I mean, I, I could be wrong. I don't I don't know. You know, who knows? Maybe Alfredo Alcala and Tony DiZuniga came up with some of this stuff. But I, I kind of feel like a lot of this is probably, you know, Alan Moore scripted where he's like, OK, two page spread. There's a there's a cat on top of a dude's head. You know, like I like like I'm like, dude, Tony DiZuniga didn't fucking just come up with that. Like somebody told him to draw this freaky ass shit. You know what I mean? So if if that was anybody, it was fucking Steve Gerber. I, I know you have notes on this next sequence, but I saw the President Freddy sequence. It, it's it's only like two pages or so. Well, I guess maybe three, but I thought it was kind of neat. Like he comes out of the he comes out of the portrait and he turns into like the zombie president and stuff. Yeah. Like I thought that was kind of neat, but yeah, no, I mean it, it's a good way to get her and everything. I mean it's a great it's a great death sequence for Doctor Quinn. I I like a lot of the 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 shading in in that sequence and then some of the pages that follow it's like a lot of nice sort of i i don't know if it's duo shade that they're using or what but like it, a, a lot of the close-ups on the faces yeah. like I, just, I love all the shading on them and everything i i i will again say that this is this is a, a not so subtle political commentary though you know what i mean like like i i i i just find it interesting right that like Gerber's one of those guys that was he he was one of the guys I wrote my comic and I edited my comic. Uh-huh. I'm like, what the fuck? Like <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about, bro? Like, what do you mean you edited the comic you wrote? Like, shut the fuck up, dude. And and like th- this isn't that far because obviously Bob Budiansky's editing it and whatever, right? But but like, I don't know. It, to me, it cracks me up that the, the these are the guys that got all butthurt when Jim Shooter became the new sheriff in town. And I kind of feel like some of this shit wouldn't have gone down if Jim Shooter was still there. And that could have been a good thing or a bad thing, depending on your fandom, right? Like, like maybe this Freddy thing would have never come to pass, or maybe it would have been watered down, you know, milk sop Freddy and you wouldn't have been into it. Right. And, and I, I think the way they, they did it in the magazine format is, is the way to go. And, and obviously there's this, you know, brutal death sequence and everything like that. But of course, to me, there's no accident that, that welfare is is bolded right like that the 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 line is like you let your guard down jules got too upset about the little sluts welfare should have been thinking about number one that's the american way ha 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 like that's his whole fucking spiel or whatever but i i, I kind of feel like again that's that's probably that's one of those things where I'm kind of like, you know, like, you know, people talk about, you know, 
you know, oh, you know, maybe there, maybe there should be limits. Maybe there should be gatekeeping in certain sense with with uh, who who gets to write comics and who doesn't. But I'm kind of like, ah, eh, it was it was too late, like back in the '70s. Do you know what I mean? Like there was already stuff that was like uh, totally out to lunch, you know, way back then. So it's like I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't. I mean, if 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 you're gonna do that, then that then that means somebody always has to you know, be uh, Heimdall, you know, always, always watching, you know, for like weird shit like that. If you're going to, if you're going to do that, but I'm not, I'm not saying that people should do it or don't do it or whatever, but you know, if, if, if that's where you're coming from, like it's like there, there was always kind of kooky ass shit like this, you know, way back then or whatever. The, the final look for Allison like, is it me? Like, I, I maybe it was just the collar or whatever, but I kind of felt like she looked like Black Canary in those final sequences. Yeah, I could say that now that you mentioned it. Yeah, kind of. Because, I mean, I know she's just like kind of wearing jeans and a nice, you know, black top or whatever, but she's kind of got that little choke collar or whatever it is, you know, and I was just kind of thinking, I don't know, to me, it, it, you know, and it's funny thinking about it because you're like, you know, you're talking about it where it's like, okay, like, I got to say, like, the, the person Joe Jesco drew on the cover of number two and, and the, the girl that's sitting in the chair that looks like black canary, like that, that doesn't look like a 15 year old girl to me. Yeah. Like just, just going to throw that out there. You know, I felt like the, the page 34 where you see these, these different incarnations of her, like she's the kid, she's a victim, she's the dream wrestler. And then she's like, what a gladiator with like a weird looking blade arm thingy. Yeah. It's almost, I mean that that is the most dream warrior esque or whatever. But mm-hmm. he, even that, it's like she's like she's like fucking Aquaman with the hook hand or some <laughs> shit. You know what I mean? Like like, and it's like that's that's almost like like she's getting slightly more ghastly. Like like it kind of reminded me of like you know how I always said like early Marvel comics women scared me because like Scarlet Witch and Tiger were kind of scary and like even even Ileana you know it's like it's like she started out as a cute girl but then she got more and more demonic and it's like this this girl is kind of the same way right like you kind of start out and you're like yeah she's a nice girl and you kind of like her and everything and the the wrestler and the I don't know. Th- there's that one picture of her where she looks like a streetwalker, you know, whether she's 15 or not. And then and then and then you get to that one picture with with her with the the I, I, it's not really a hook hand, but it's like she's got some kind of what is it like a, a stabby hand or whatever. You know? I don't know. Like, it, it, but it's like it's like it, it's almost like it's like, you know, she she kind of turns into like vampire mohawk storm or something, you know, it's, it's this very different look from that sweet kind of black canary long haired woman that's in the final picture. You know what I mean? Like, so, so it's like, she's going through like all these stages, you know? Yeah. It's, it's kind of like an evolution of her character. And it's like, I think it's interesting and also unfortunate, of course, but the last picture is that kind of black canary look and it's very serene. I mean, the picture, the picture before that is the, the weird hook hand and she's, you know, you got this like, pained angry expression on her face and the 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 next picture she's very serene i kind of wonder if like if that was what they were going to go for in future issues like she was going to become mm-hmm. dream warrior-esque and she was going to you know take control like, of maybe, herself maybe. and fight freddy but then maybe her final form like if she's frieza 
her final form would be like very serene, almost kind of like Amanda Kruger tried to be serene and fight Freddy that way or something. I don't know. Well, yeah, the, like what I, what I was wondering is is you, you know I said is that is that woman that Freddy kills in his his yeah. hobo dream thing is that Amanda Kruger is that his mother like like maybe maybe Allison could be a replacement for that I don't know cosmic deity like whatever that is that freddie took out like like because 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 for all you know that that's not his mother or anything like maybe that's like like in other words you know how morpheus's dream in sandman like what if that lady that came to freddie in his dreams was like the freddie krueger's version of morpheus and mm. him stabbing morpheus gave him morpheus's powers or something like that you know what i mean like and yeah. and maybe maybe now she's you know allison's gonna be the one to to replace that, you know, that, that ying to his yang or something like that. Like, I don't, I don't know, you know, like that, that, that's kind of the vibe you get in, in this kind of story or whatever. I mean, even, you know, I guess what, what the Allison's like warrior self or dream warrior self reminded me of a little bit is there's a, a character in the, end of the Ghost Rider run, the original Ghost Rider, Johnny Blaze, her, her name's Steelwind. So she's like this kind of punk girl with like pink hair. And eventually, like if you, if you go into volume two, like there's, there's Steelwind and Steel Vengeance. And they, of course, they have to both become fucking cyborgs. So they're like <laughs> pink punk girls who are on bikes, but then they're also like cable. So they're like cyborgs and shit like that. But like, that that kind of aspect is what that reminds you of it's like there's there's things that are sort of attractive and repulsive like all in the same package i guess if that if that kind of makes sense i I know you asked about references to other films and on on page 37 like when she first drops into the dream world and like it's like freddy krueger's in his like i don't know hot tub of lava (laughs) or whatever that is like like he's shirtless and and when you see him kind of putting his hands behind his head and relaxing in in the hot tub or whatever, you can see on his chest like there are all these faces screaming out, and those are the souls, right? And and that's very Nightmare Four reference. That's very you know Dream Master reference because that was the whole plot of that. Like every time you kill a Elm Street kid, there'd be a little face you know stuck on his chest or whatever the hell, and they they were the ones that were trying to pop out at the very end and everything. I'm I'm kind of surprised you didn't mention this, but I I think this is one of the you, you, I I know you 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 talked about the the intestines coming out to strangle her, but uh, another sequence that I just thought was pretty ghastly is a, as she goes through these phases fighting Freddy, you know, with the you know the kind of puncture hand and all that stuff. At one point, she punctures Freddy's head, and out of his hat becomes this snake. And rather than let the snake attack her, she bites the snake. And then it's like Freddy's been manipulating her perception. And it's like she bit off her own finger. And like, that's a pretty grisly panel. I I love his line. He's like, I love finger food. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Bon appetit, bitch. You know, th- this is this is something that I-, I wanted to discuss with you because I don't know that I have an answer to this, and I I don't know that I've ever really gotten this sequence. But right after that sequence, 
she says, this didn't happen. It's my dream. I'm in control. And then she screams out like, I am in control. And there's a sequence where it's almost like it, it's misleading because I think the, the, the notion is supposed to be she uses her dream power to restore her finger. Right. So yeah. so she's healed herself. You know, in, in some cases you look at it and there's that shine on her shoulder. And I was kind of like, well, is she zapping her shoulder? Like, but I don't I don't think that's what it's supposed to be. I think it's supposed to be she's healed her finger. Yeah. And then and then you can almost hear it like like how you said, this is like a movie. You know, you can almost hear Robert England be like. You shouldn't have let me see that kid, you know, like type thing. And and I don't I mean, what does that mean? Like, I mean, I get it in terms of like, OK, Freddie saw a poker hand of somebody's that they that he, sh you know, now that he's seen it, he can he can play an even better hand of poker than than Allison somehow. But I'm like, why does. Why does using her healing powers in front of Freddie, like, leave her vulnerable, you know, like, like, I, I guess, you know, to me, I'm like, well, he, he's like, you shouldn't have let me see that kid. It's like, why? What, like, what advantage does that give him? Like, how, how did you interpret that moment? Kind of like you, like, maybe that was like her, I mean, I guess it's not really her trump card because she she just kind of pulled it out of her ass, right? It's not like she she didn't know she can do that. She was just like, oh, I, I am I'm in control. I'm in control. And she she wishes it back. Like she she probably didn't even know she could do that. But like like you said, it's like it's not just his line. It's like the look on his face. I mean, look at that panel. He's just kind of like I don't I don't even know what the expression on his face is. It's like he's just. He, it's like he stopped, you know, full stream, and he's like, "Uh, uh oh, like that." It means something to him clearly, but we, unfortunately, probably because it was canceled, we don't know what the what it means as the audience. So yeah, yeah. Like, I, I kind of puzzled I mean, over it too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like I, I kind of get it. It's like he, he, he's seen something that he can take advantage of, right? But like. And and it's it's not that he's, uh, uh, yeah, I, I know what you're saying. It's like he's he knows he got her somehow. But it's like it, it's 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 even weirder because he's you know somebody that's normally I guess especially in the the mega popular era of Freddy, somebody that's normally as outlandish and giddy as he is about certain things. It's like it's it's almost like. He's not moaning when he's orgasming or something weird. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, like it's this weird aspect of like he should be like, woohoo! I can kick your ass, but instead it's almost like you shouldn't have let me see that. You know, like kind of like I, I don't know. It's just it's very strange, and I'm just like, what? I, I I'm still kind of confused because it's like the next panel he just says game's over, and she's like on the ground and i'm just kind of like i i don't it, it, it's like it's like somehow he flipped the table on her but i just i just you know again i guess maybe because it's supposed to be dreamlike or whatever like you, you, i don't really completely understand how that table was flipped or whatever and and i guess like the, the then then it gets into the sequence that you remembered i guess as a kid where she she 
She gets ported back into her bedroom, even though she knows she's still in a dream. And then she she takes on like Freddie's sweater and hat and glove. But it's not like his sweater and hat and glove, but it's yeah. like her own version of it. And and then they they kind of have a one on one. And like I, I know technically by the time Freddie's dead rolls around, like there is that aspect of his daughter taking the glove and and that that is the glove somehow is representative of his power, you know, and but I guess I always I always kind of thought of that as like, you know, friends I had like they're weird, like headcanon bullshit that was never really backed up by any evidence in any media. I guess because for me, I I always remember like that that one friend that recommended Nightmare Four and everything. Like uh, to him, he was always like, "Oh yeah, the glove, the gloves. What's all the like? If someone could take that glove and wear it, and then and then like stab Freddy with it, like Freddy would die because <laughs> that that's his glove and like what? And I I just kind of went well to me. I was always like, okay, well that's a nice that's a nice theory. Like that's some nice head cannon, but I'm just kind of like where's your proof you know like what what proof do you have that 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 is gonna work you know like and i mean maybe by the time you came to nightmare you know freddy's dead you know uh, to them like they they brought him into the real world and just blew him the fuck up like that's how they killed him right which again is kind of like i don't know if that's so great but whatever and and after all that like he it's almost like she has him on the ropes and he's he's kind of offering a truce or trying to pull a Darth Vader and be like, you know, join me and type thing or whatever. And and Allison isn't having any of that shit. And she totally like stabs him in the chest. And you'd think like that would be fatal, but it, it just seems like it's all part of the dream. It's it's just so, some other wound for Freddy. And and he uses it to lure her through this door and by the time he gets her through the door, she's sleepwalking and she attacks, you know, she kind of scrapes Dr. Watley across the face. And, you know, I don't know if that's just to extend this story so that it doesn't have a, a final showdown, like that they can, you know, drag it out into this fifth issue where that character was supposed to come back and everything like that. But, like, I I felt like the ending reminded me of, like, one of those, you know, wah, wah, wah episodes of Freddy's Nightmares. Because it's like, that. that's how, like, I, I feel like all the episodes of Freddy's Nightmares ended like that. Where it was like, it was like, they, they thought they were, like, it's like, I beat you. I got you, you son of a bitch. And then it's like, and then they wake up and it's like, well, actually, like, you stepped on your kid's sister's face and killed her instead. No, no, I didn't mean to do that. I was killing Freddy. I was killing Freddy. And they cart them off to the fucking loony bin where clearly they're going to, you know, put them on a bunch of uh, pills and anesthesia and she's going to fall asleep and get killed by Freddy in his own good time. You know what I mean? And that's almost what I felt like the ending to this was where it's like that. That's why the Elm Street kids are, you know,
you know, like that that whole shit. Where you know, again, she's she's screaming as the the orderlies drag her out. You know, like, and it's almost like, I mean, conceivably, if there were no other issues, even if you didn't get all your questions answered, I mean, Freddie won, and <laughs> Allison's gonna go get put in a padded room, fall asleep, and eventually die. Like, I mean, I know that probably wasn't the intent, right? She was going to come back later in issue five. But, you know what I mean? Like, it, it, it's like, that's that's kind of where I felt like the, the story ended or whatever. What did you think about how it ended? I thought it was really odd because I was like, so was she sleepwalking the whole time? And the first time I looked at this, it kind of took me a minute because I was like, well, what did she do? And then I noticed... On Dr. Watley, there's a tiny little mark on his face. And then in the fifth panel, I think, like you can see it, there's a little, I guess it's supposed to be a little dab of blood where it's bleeding. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, okay. Like, so, you know, she's in the dream and she's swinging her clawed hand at Freddy. And then Freddy wakes her up. I guess she was sleepwalking around the building or whatever. And I guess her fingernails scraped Dr. Wally. And then mm-hmm, he, mm-hmm. he's all freaking out. It was just, it was slightly unclear to me what happened. Because it's like, you look at that panel where she's like, die. And he's like, ah. Oh, and it just, there's, there's, there's lines coming from her hand. But I was like, wait, what? It, it, was just, it was just slightly unclear to me until I looked at it closer. You know, like these, you know. These are not like Bendis comics. You can't just flip through these and be like, okay, I got it. You have to be like, yeah, yeah. okay, oh, he's bleeding. And she scratched him with her fingernails, not not the not the glove hand. Okay. I mean, but yeah, yeah, but yeah, it is and, kind of a it is kind of a want want, you know, to be continued ending. Yeah, yeah. And and I guess, you know, I guess this is this is for me worth going into because I, I, I had a lot of fun with this on Facebook not too long ago, but at the at the end they have a next issue blurb and there's this image from joe chiodo who you know similar to joe jesco it's this nice what what would have been presumably a nice painted cover and it's freddie with an apple sitting at the teacher's desk and on the chalkboard it says like back to school and then you've got this really cute girl who I knew, I knew had like pink hair. And I was like, why do I know that she has pink hair? You know? And, and basically the next issue blurb says, you know, Freddie teaches you a lesson that you'll never forget. And in the front of the desk, it's taped with this, uh, you know, writing paper where it says no homework, go to bed early. You know? So like, you know, that's the joke, right? Like Freddie wants all the kids to go to bed early so he can, he can stalk them, attack them, you know, what have you or whatever. And I knew that I had seen this in color somewhere. And so I, I actually reached out on Facebook cause I was like, I don't, you know, and I went to like some Joe Chiodo fan groups. I, I asked some friends and everything, if they remembered anything. And eventually I ended up talking to Joe Chiodo and and of course through that I ended up getting a commission from Joe Chiodo of Maxima, which was really nice. But the 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 main the main reason why I asked was because I was like, dude, I know I've seen this in color before. Like like where could it be? And I was digging through all these things: the Amazing Heroes, the Marvel Ages, like any anything that might have had something like that. And I still couldn't find it. But what was interesting was Joe Chiodo said oh i know where it was from like it because it, it, he he it took him a minute too because he's like 
yeah, you're right. This was in color. Like, and I, and he's like, I think it was published somewhere. And so he, he basically he's like, oh, this was from one of my 1997 art books. It was called The Art of Chiodo that was published by Wildstorm. But he said, as not to get into trouble with copyrights, we cropped out Freddy and just the image of the girl was posted in the book. So and I was like, I knew I'd seen that in color. And so when I saw that, I was like, I was like, great, I'm not crazy. <laughs> I'm like, yay, I didn't I didn't make this shit up or whatever. You know, so I was I was so I was so overjoyed. Like that's that's one of my little uh member berry nostalgia things that I got back or whatever. Like, you know how I'm always like, I don't know how many more of those I got. Well, I got one more with that because because I knew I knew that was a thing and I couldn't find it. And then we did find it. So that was that was super cool. And and then the back cover and this may delve us into some other avenues of discussion with a special guest. But the the, the back cover is by Sam Keith. And it's this really awesome Sam Keith image of Freddy Krueger in black and white. And I guess, as as has been hinted, you know, this was not intended to just be two issues of a Marvel magazine and they were going to call it a day. Like, this was going to be, this was supposed to be an ongoing concern. You know, this was supposed to be an ongoing Marvel magazine. And they they had solicited future issues. They they had a next issue blurb at the back of this very second issue of the magazine. Marvel Age had a number of, of solicits for future issues. And there were certainly, you know, in all these interviews, there were certainly a lot of plans for future issues. What we might do here is take a little break, and we're going to end up talking to one of the, the writers of some of those future issues that were solicited, which is Mr. Buzz Dixon. So yeah, I mean, pretty much like like I said, like we ended up talking about the the first two issues of that Marvel magazine, mm-hmm. and then when I was doing my sort of research and looking at like Marvel Age and the Amazing Heroes interview, I think that Steve Gerber gave, like your yeah. your name came up as like you know you know basically before they knew it was canceled, you know they kind of talked mm-hmm. about oh we have plans, you know like and they yeah. talked about almost you know, six issues or so and everything like yeah. that. And of course, even some of these blurbs, they say, you know, it's like, it's like Freddie's girl is going to be written by Buzz Dixon and penciled yeah. by Bob Paul and everything yeah. like that. And, and, and what was funny was I found this funny quote online. I, I don't remember where I found it from, but I put it in my notes for, for our show. And it, it, I guess the, the interviewer had asked you, 
what is the worst thing anyone has ever said about one of your books? And then I think you answered, I don't care if we paid for it, we're not publishing it. And it was, you know, in reference to this comic. So, yeah, I, you know, yeah. I, I just wanted to, because I thought, hey, you know, Tony, you know, made friends with you and, and mm -hmm. you came on our show before and everything. And that was a, a great interview and lots of people, oh, you know, you. really, really enjoyed it and everything. Mm -hmm. So we got a lot of positive feedback about that. And I just thought, hey, what a great resource. Like, who better to ask about, you know, sort of some of the unpublished stories in this than, than yourself. So I'll, I'll just go through like some of those questions, you know, that I kind of uh, sent over to you before. And I guess hopefully sure. we can just talk about that if that's cool. With sure. You. I okay. don't know. I, I'm not able to provide a great deal of detail on on other people's stories because, you know, obviously I was just focused on my own. And yeah. when the book got canceled, I, I I had no I had no reason to find out anything more about. Right. That right. Point. Right. So, that that you know. was that was sort of the end of your involvement yeah. and everything. Yeah. I, I was just curious, like, how did you how did you get involved in writing issues of Freddy Krueger's A Nightmare on Elm Street? Well, I was friends with Steve. Steve and I had worked together at Ruby Spears way back from the early 80s. And I'm, I'm not being unkind or unfair when I say Steve, on more than one occasion, had deadline problems. He, you know, he wrote a famous episode of, uh, uh, issue rather, of Howard the Duck called Deadline Doom, where, you know, he just, he just basically spewed stuff off the top of his head and let Gene Colan just draw all kinds of weird stuff, you know, to fill up an issue because he, as he admitted to the reader, says, I blew the deadline. I, you know, don't have a story for you. So here's a bunch of crazy ideas. And, you know, I'll, I'll have, you'll, we'll be back to the story, you know, next issue. He called friends in periodically to, to help out, you know, in various ways. And on more than one occasion, I worked with him, you know, to help him get a project through the pipeline. The very first time I did it was when he was doing the Destroyer Duck comic with Jack Kirby. And he asked me, he says, would you write a two-page fight scene for me so that Jack will have something to draw while I finish writing the script for the rest of the book? And well, you know, come on, Jack Kirby drawing, <laughs> you know, yeah. a, a script. Absolutely. So, you know, I wrote this two page fight scene where Destroyer Lawyer fights one of the supporting villains. But hey, you know, Jack Kirby drew it. How about that? So, yeah. uh, you know, that was a that was a big, big moment for me. I also worked on the three issues of She-Hulk that we did, the one where they where she went back in time and encountered the invaders superhero team and, you know, all kinds of shenanigans there. So I've, I've I had done this sort of thing with Steve a lot. And, and he called me up and said he was doing the book. He had at least four, maybe more story ideas. He had a whole arc planned out. But he was already running into deadline trouble. And he said, can you write a standalone story for us that, you know, is, is a break away from the continuing story we're doing? And we can just drop it in, you know, anywhere and, you know, buy me some time. And I said, sure. And it turned out that, you know, he needed it by issue three. So, you know, I, I turned it in as quickly as I could. The artist did a great job on it. I've got I've got the Xeroxes around here somewhere, the dialogue oh. Xeroxes. Okay. And one of these days I'm gonna I, I plan to put them up on my blog or on my Tumblr at the very least. 
And I, I, I have them when we, when I moved my office, I saw them physically. I still have them. I just forgot which, which shelf it's in and which box in which shelf. And but I'll, I'll drag it out eventually and put it online. That's, that's super cool to hear. So, and that would be the, the pencils by Bob Hall, correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. With, and with the, dialogue. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And like, e- even in the blurb, you know, they kind of title it so that the story was titled <laughs> Freddy's girl and that's yeah. what the third yeah. issue. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, I, I don't know if you can tell from the avatar, but in my avatar, I've got that mm-hmm. picture that was at the end of issue two, where it's a next issue, you know, and they've got mm-hmm. Freddy Krueger with the apple and it's the, yeah. the beautiful Joe Chiodo and everything like that. Yeah. And I, I even I even talked to him online because it was it was driving me crazy because that image is in black and mm-hmm. white. And I. Yeah. I swore I knew that I had seen it in color before and yeah. I and and I started asking around and finally I found him on Facebook and we started talking about it and eventually he he found something and it was like mm-hmm. oh there was one of my art books and he said we couldn't use Freddy for copyright reasons in the art book but they did crop out I guess Freddy's girl, right? And, yeah. and that was all in color because I, I had yeah. this distinct memory. I was like, oh, she she had like pink in her hair and all this other yeah. stuff. You know, I, yeah. I I remembered all that, and I was like, but I couldn't for the life of me for a while find it anywhere. And until I until I talked to him and everything, so it probably goes without saying. But I think I'm the guy on the show that enjoyed Nightmare on Elm Street the most, or at least mm-hmm. I'm, pr- I'm probably like one of the biggest fans of the franchise so like one of the questions i had that i was curious about was when you i i know you kind of explained you know you were friends with steve and sometimes you would come in and and Mm -hmm. you know do some stories when when he kind of asked you to and everything but had had you seen any of the elm street movies before you took yeah i saw i saw saw a couple of them i uh, i forget how many there are in the series now and i know they rebooted it and he met jason and all Mm -hmm. kinds of stuff Mm -hmm. I've seen at least four of them. I'm, okay. I'm pretty sure I saw the first three and at least one after the first three, but I can't tell you which that, number that would it kinda, is. That would yeah. kind of make sense because I think yeah. at the time this came out, the 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 fifth movie was gearing up to be released. Yeah. So I think I think yeah. your issues came out, and then maybe by the end of that month, the fifth movie had been released in theaters and, yeah. and so that would make sense that you've probably seen the first four or whatever by that point yeah. so I, yeah. I thought that was cur- you know i was just curious because sometimes i wonder like oh hey you know sometimes people you know you might take on jobs and you're like i have no idea what this is and you have to go research <laughs> it and, and you know to write oh, a story yeah, like, about the, it. like uh if, have you ever seen any of the 1960s early 70s star trek comics Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. They, like, yeah, like they, they they have nothing to do with with Star Trek. Exactly. Obviously, yeah, nobody you know. had seen it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I had seen I had seen the Nightmare on Elm Street. As I said, at least three, maybe four, of the Nightmare on Elm Streets up to that point. It's it was not a oh I got to see this kind of movie. It's something that I saw, you know, because I'm just trying to stay plugged in with popular culture because yeah. I'm I'm working in it. You know, and it'd be on the the cable channel so I would watch it if it was on Showtime or something like that. It it I thought it was good. I it didn't really what's the word? not resonate. It it didn't it it was not a movie that it was like, "Oh, I've got to see every one of these. This is great. I I you know, can't wait till the next one." 
but I, I would see them and I could evaluate them, you know, probably as, as dispassionately as possible. And, you know, the first one I thought was good. The the rest of them are kind of uneven because yeah. I, I think they, they kind of lost track of what it was that Freddie was all about. I mean, to me, the cool thing is, is that they they managed to create the first actual genuine real movie monster. Freddie exists in nightmares. You know, people have had nightmares about Freddie yeah. since these movies came out. So they created the first real bonafide movie monster. I thought that was cool. So, uh, you know, more power to him for that. It was a it was a fun gig. I liked it. You know, it was it was a little gruesome, more gruesome than than a lot of stuff I do, but it was still fun. Yeah, I mean, it seems like that format. I guess I mean mm-hmm. I, I know it did end up getting canceled, but it kind of mm-hmm. reminded me of the old, you know, the the Tomb of Dracula style yeah. kind of comics and everything. So I, I yeah. felt like that format maybe afforded a little more. You know, that that they could afford yeah. to be gruesome like that like i i know you said you you watched some of the films and everything was there anything like when you were writing for your particular story like did you did you look for influence elsewhere or like what did you like when when you were trying to formulate like your own standalone freddy story like did you take inspiration from anything like i guess basically well, kind of leading into you know what what exactly was the the third issue that story going to be about well, the the thing that I did when I was when I was looking at the material that Steve had when I had seen the the movies, it's you know Freddie always targets a bunch of teenagers and oh don't go to sleep and and oh we don't want to die so don't go to sleep, and it struck me well what would happen if Freddie encountered a teen who wanted to die because you know teen suicide is a, is a serious issue. Mm. And a lot of teens, unfortunately, you know, take that option. And I thought, well, what happens if, if he encounters a kid who, who wants him, wants to be killed? And there's an old joke about, you know, the, the uh, you know, a, a masochist comes running up to a sadist screaming, beat me, beat me, beat me. And the sadist says, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, okay. and when I, when I, I, I just put those two things together and I thought, okay, so Freddie encounters somebody who wants to commit suicide and Freddie's going to go, no, wait, it's a trap. It's a, what, what's going on here? This is not the way you're supposed to react. And in the course of the story, Freddie finds out why this character wants to commit suicide. This It's a teen girl. She's new to the school. She's kind of an outsider. Everybody picks on her and just gives her a hard time. And she's depressed. She wants to end it all. And she's heard the stories about Freddy. So she summons Freddy. And Freddy comes out of the toilet to to confront her at, at some point. And she says, kill me. I, I don't want to live anymore. Just kill me. And it's like, whoa, wait a minute. What are you doing here? I, I, You know, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. You're supposed to be afraid of me. And she goes into her sob story. And Freddy listens. And he says, well, you shouldn't let the kids run you down. I mean, you shouldn't do this. And he befriends her. And he starts helping her and he starts like, you know, tormenting the kids so that they won't be, you know, bullying her anymore. And he starts giving her help in various ways. And she becomes popular and she becomes she's out asked out on a date and she's voted homecoming queen. And she's so delighted and happy. And that's what he kills her because she's got something to live for now. <laughs> yeah, that 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 seems pretty perfect. Yeah. And, you know, so I, I think it took me like two or three days to to come up with an idea and I pitched it to Steve 
And I remember, Steve, the exact feedback I don't remember, but I do know we spent some time discussing it and how it would be approached and this, that, and the other thing. I think Steve was was very much concerned that it doesn't didn't trivialize the issue of teen suicide, mm-hmm. which I agreed with him. I mean, it it you know it, it, that would be pointless, but we figured out the right tone for it. We were working in the standard Marvel manner, which was I did a, like a th- at least a three page outline, maybe a little more three-page outline that we gave to the artist. The artist did pencils, sent them to me, sent Xeroxes of the pencils to me. I did the dialogue balloons. It got lettered, and I forget if if the lettering was done directly on the art or if it was an overlay or what, but in any case, I eventually got back Xerox copies of the lettering on, on the art, the final art, so that I could look at it and make sure that everything was okay, that nobody had misspelled anything or duplicated dialogue balloon or something like that. And then right about at that moment, just as everything was getting geared up for it to be the next story, you know, Goodman pulled the plug on it because all he knew, from what I understand, all Goodman knew was, oh, it's a popular franchise with the teens. Well, we better get it and make you know, a comic book about it. And then he finds out what it is, and it's like, oh my God, we're not doing this. And which, which to me was always kind of like a dog in the manger type thing. He he had he had prevented anybody else from doing a comic book on it by by preemptively taking the license and then canceling it. So by the time all the the confusion and everything else about you know who owned what and who had the license to do it. The moment had passed and there was no momentum to build off of it. So, you know, I was disappointed because I was I was happy with the story. I thought it was a pretty cool horror story. But, you know, those things happen and I got paid, so I'm not going to complain. Right, right. I guess I guess just this is this is kind of nitty gritty nerd questions about the Xeroxes and everything, because I know I know this the blurb said that Bob Hall did the pencils and then it said Alfredo yeah. Alcala did the inks. So yeah. like at that point, like was it that far along that it had been penciled and inked and then the, oh, yeah. the lettering yeah. and all yeah. that? Okay. Wow. Yeah. I'm I'm pretty sure the process was they sent me full size stats of the pages that had been penciled. And what I did then was I would I would draw dialogue balloons over parts of the, the art where they would go. And I didn't have to actually write anything in there, but I had to number them so that when they looked at the script, they could see, you know, how many, how many words would be in the balloons and whatnot. And Steve helped me through on this. I mean, he gave me some really good pointers on, on balloon placement and size and the number of words to include. And, you know, it was really a, a very fascinating little education. I went through it. I sent it to Steve. Steve, I think, made a few minor corrections and changes just just for clarity's sake. It then went to it was then the the original art went to Alfredo, who inked it. In fact, he might have already been inking it as I was doing the dialogue. 
Okay. And then it went to whoever the letterer was. And again, as I said, I, I can't recall if the letterer actually did a physical overlay, you know, whited stuff out and lettered things in, or if Alfredo drew the balloons leaving the space mm. or what. I, I can't recall at this time. But it came back and it looked pretty good. And, you know, I, I told Steve, you know, I had no problems with it. And, you know, Steve didn't have any problems with it. And, you know, then within like 24, 48 hours, it was all rendered moot. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, this is just another thing that I was trying to wrap my head around, and you may not have the answer to this, but I, I just want to pose the question because this is another one of those art things that I, I, I haven't been able to wrap my brain around. But what I thought was interesting, too, is I, I we talked about that next issue blurb with the Joe Chiodo, and that, that seems directly tied into the way you describe the plot of your story. You know, mm -hmm. Freddie is in the, the school teacher's chair, and you've got the the girl yeah. that, you know, I guess wants to be popular and that kind of yeah. thing. So, so to me, I always thought, well, naturally it's a next issue. And to me, I thought that would be the third issue. Um, yeah. I just posted in the chat. There was something that I thought was interesting where at, at some point on some of these nightmare and Elm street fan sites, uh, at some point, I guess Joe Jesco had published or I, I guess published isn't the right word, but released an unpublished cover that would have been used for this same black and white series and and that kind of makes sense because he had done the covers to those first two issues yeah. that that Gerber had written and right. and but but looking at the content of that cover you know we we kind of discussed this a little bit too when we were discussing you know the first two issues it was like oh it looks like you know Freddie's coming out of a bonfire and a bunch of I don't know maybe angry parents or burning yeah. popular paraphernalia like records yeah. and and things like that. And I kind of went, well, that doesn't sound like anything like the synopsis for for your story. So I, yeah. I just assume you'd be able to confirm like that doesn't sound like anything that would have been in any of your I stories. Don't, I, I don't guess. think I don't think we had that. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say right now that that we absolutely didn't have it. It might have been a very minor one page subplot or something, but it wasn't mm. anything I had thought of. It might have been something that, you know, an idea that I kicked around with Steve it might have also been something that Steve had kicked around with with Joe saying, you know, this is mm. where I plan to take the stories in the future. Okay. Um, I, I do know that because of the scheduling, you know, situation, they wanted to get the covers done and the covers may have been more, you know, just generic you know, Freddie doing something awful covers as opposed to right. specifically tied into the story. The story, you know, okay. yeah. It's like it's like if you if you've seen like the Superman covers or the Batman covers from the from the forties, very rarely did they actually tie into anything that was actually in the book. They were just you know Superman and Batman doing stuff, and you know, then you'd have like three or four different Superman stories on the inside. It, it was it was kind of like that. Just, you know, a grab bag of Freddy doing nefarious things or nefarious things happening to Freddy. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure, Steve, if the project had continued, because it would have been successful. I mean, it, it they sold really well. The, the that's that's what I heard. Like, I, I had heard yeah. like. That, I mean, I don't have any numbers on it or anything, but but when I was reading about it, you know, I heard even when they pulled the plug that that's, you know, I guess I don't know what the right word is. You know, supposedly 
those first two issues had sold better than like Savage Sword of Conan, which apparently was like one of their best black and yeah. white magazine sellers. Yeah. So I was like, wow, if it was, I was like, it, I, I had no idea about that until I started reading some of the finer details. But I was like, wow, if that was outselling Conan, like I, I totally believe what you're saying. Like it absolutely would have done gangbusters if it had continued as a yeah. series. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think if, if Steve had managed to stay on, if, if the series had, had been allowed to continue, probably there would have been more standalone stories done to buy him time. It sounds like in the Amazing Heroes interview, they I guess that when they interviewed Gerber, they talked about, you know, maybe Peter David was going to write some. And, yeah. you know, it sounded, yeah. it sounded like they had plans for, you know, that, that aside from because it sounded like Gerber's plot. He had a certain arc with certain characters, yeah. a story that he wanted to tell. But in between that, it, it would become more of a, you know, insert anthology story here exactly, type thing. Yeah. And, and it would just, you know, maybe focus on a, you know, a done in one or maybe a two parter or something like yeah. that. Yeah. That's what that's what Steve was was working towards. I mean, he we we had discussed this and he acknowledged that probably once they got the book underway. And, and by that, I mean, when, once they got the initial arc that he had laid out done, he would be doing long-term arcs, but to buy him time to do the long-term arts arcs, we would, he would be hiring, you know, people to do fill-in stories. Or when I say a fill-in story, not as you point out, not in the classic sense of a fill-in story, but just, you know, a story set in that universe with those characters, not contradicting anything that the characters that, you know, Steve would have planned or had done for the characters because Steve would be supervising it. But just, you know, to keep the action going until, you know, Steve could do his next storyline. Yeah, like not, you know, something, a story that doesn't step on anybody's toes, yeah. but, but still yeah. kind of is entertaining and, and kind of yeah. supplies content to the readers and stuff. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, for, for me, I, I appreciate you taking the time to answer these questions. I mean, that was, oh, my th those, pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah, those, th those were my, my main questions and everything. And, and if I can be giddy for a moment, like when you said that you had Xerox copies and, and sometime you plan to release those, like, you know, please, you know, post links and everything. Cause I'd, no, I'd be okay. super excited to check those out whenever Absolutely. you get the chance to do that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, like I said, they, they, they physically exist. I saw them within the last six or eight months when I was moving my office and they're they're in a box in one of the shelves. I just have to take the time. I forget which box, so I just have to pull them out one by one and dig through. But when I find it, I'll you know I'll, I'll do them up and um, you know put them online. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Thank you, thank you very much, Buzz. Oh, well, you're welcome. Thank you, Derek. The kids of Elm Street don't know it yet, but something is coming to get them. Nightmare on Elm Street. No! No! She's the only one who can stop it. If she fails, no one will survive. Help me! Please! Wes Craven's Nightmare on Elm Street, rated R. Now playing at a flagship theater near you. So yeah, so so we 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 we've uh, enjoyed that insight from from Buzz on issues three and four. 
of what might have been uh, the third and fourth issue of Freddy Krueger's A Nightmare on Elm Street. But yeah, like like we, we were talking about with Buzz, the, the, the issues, you know, would have had art from Bob Hall. And that, that's why we see a lot of those Bob Hall pinups in these in these first two issues. And then there there was also supposed to be a story with Peter David written story with some Sam Keith art. So th- there's there's plenty of sort of evidence that there were going to be, you know, future issues and everything. I guess specifically for the the Peter David stuff, we can look at in an interview with Comics Buyer's Guide, they they had a write up for Nightmare on Elm Street issues four and five. And you might think it's interesting that th- th- to me, th- th- there's some discrepancies in some of this, but I think most of it can be explained. So Bob. Hall and Buzz Dixon were going to write issues three and four of Nightmare on Elm Street. And you might be wondering, well, how can Peter David also write issues four and five? Because they they both, you know, how can they both write issue four? Well, it it sounds like some of them were going to be like anthology type thing. You know what I mean? Like where they would have had a story from from Buzz Dixon, you know, in, in the front half and then a short story from Peter David in the back half and that kind of thing. Because they did say that the Sam Keith story was going to be like six or seven pages or something like that with Peter David. And in this, in this interview with comics buyers guide, it says Peter wrote stories for both of these issues, which were never published. The editor in chief at the time had a personal dislike for the series and canned it. According to comics buyers guide article, Peter wrote one of two stories for issue four with art by Brett Blevins and Peter wrote all of issue five with art by Dan Lawless and Alfredo Alcala. But in an online posting, Peter also mentioned a six-page story he wrote for one of the issues with art by Sam Keith. Peter said these Freddy Krueger horror stories were like nothing else he'd ever written. In retrospect, he wasn't happy with them and was somewhat glad they were never published. And that's from NightmareOnElmStreetFilms.com is where I grabbed that from. And then, and then again, I guess my my discrepancy mainly is, and I, I showed you this as well, and we can talk about this a little bit, is Joe Jusco published, or I guess published, Joe Jusco had an unpublished cover, supposedly for issue number three. And so I, I linked you to that image, and it's like Freddy Krueger, and it's almost like he's coming out of a bonfire where there are all these, I presumably like, you know, uber conservative parents like tossing like stuff on the 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 pyre where it's like you know presumably records and cds and all kinds of you know presumably banned you know outrageous material or something like that so i don't quite know what's going on on the cover of that and i'm i'm not sure if that would line up with the you know the the next issue blurb with the the Joe Chioto cover because I it, it sounds like that lines up more with the synopsis for Buzz Dixon's issues. You know, like the 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 idea that you know there it sounds like there was going to be you know like in other words for Marvel Age when it was solicited Nightmare on Street three says has Freddy become a good guy. That's what it looks like. He's befriended a depressed, lonely teenager and is showing her why her life is worth living. But why does he really want her to live? Freddy's Girl is written by Buzz Dixon, penciled by Bob Hall, and inked by by Alfredo Alcala. 
so like to me that that you know Freddie's girl is the girl with the pink hair, right? Like so I I don't know I don't know what all this record burning is about or how that applies to the third issue because that's and this is just me you know kind of saying supposedly it's the third issue like I mean on the site it kind of is like that's for the third issue but for all I know it was for issue four or five or six or you know what I mean so I don't really know but that's that's one of those things where it's it's interesting and again it's it's a nice cover yeah it's a great cover I know you had questions I guess like I guess we can go into this now but I, I know you had questions for me, because you were like, well, well, why was this, I guess, canceled, right? Yeah, I mean, you'd think with the popularity of the franchise, like, this would have sold gangbusters, but I guess this was canceled due to fear of criticism from anti-violence groups, is that right? Yeah, I mean, that, that's what it seems like, because cause when, you, when you look at the early issues of Amazing Heroes when they're promoting it, the, the original story, which, you know, the, these don't even exist, really, but the, the, the original breaking story is that Blackthorn Publishing was going to get to make 3D comics for Freddy, and Blackthorn was, they were going to make 3D comics based on the films. So presumably, you know, like like it wouldn't be original, like, you know, Transformers 3D or G.I. Joe in 3D or Star Wars in 3D. Like, presumably it was going to be like the actual, you know, here's an adaption of Nightmare on Elm Street in 3D. Here's an adaption of, you know, I don't know, the Dream Master in 3D or whatever. Like, that's what it sounds like. And, and basically here it says... Almost as popular as Michael Jackson, wow, if not nearly as good a dancer, Freddy Krueger, supernatural slasher superstar extraordinaire, will also be coming to 3D Comics. Blackthorn has acquired the rights from New Line Cinema Corporation to produce eight 3D comic books based on the Nightmare on Elm Street movies and the Freddy's Nightmares TV show. And then it says... Also look for Freddy later this year in a new black and white magazine sized comic from Marvel. So one, the the Blackthorn 3D comics never came out. Mm, okay. The the Marvel magazine, as we've discussed, had two issues and then it was canceled. Now they talk about I mean, you know, I guess, I guess everybody has different opinions on on maybe why it was canceled and everything like that. The the website I went to, the the anti-violence advocate group thing, like that's that's their, you know, terminology, I guess. They say Marvel Comics canceled the series after the second issue, fearing pressure from anti-violence advocate groups. Steve Gerber had a an actual write-up in response to the magazine's cancellation. And again, you know, I, I, again, I'm me, right? So I'm going to take the Steve Gerber stuff with a grain of salt. But I, I, I think this, this gives you some context to what was going on at the time. He says, A note on the whys and wherefores of the magazine's cancellation, which, incidentally, was a major topic of discussion in the comics relay a few months back. According to my best information, Marvel canceled the book in anticipation of pressure from the various anti-violence advocate groups. A few weeks prior to the release of the first nightmare, the first issue, I guess, there had been an article published in the New York Times decrying the level of violence in comic books. Apparently, that article, along with the picketing that took place outside theaters, 
showing Nightmare 5 in Los Angeles and elsewhere was enough to make Marvel turn tail and run for cover. Please note that this is despite the fact that the Nightmare magazine carried a, quote, suggested for mature readers warning, and that no direct pressure, all caps, had actually been applied on Marvel. The cancellation of Nightmare is a textbook example of the, quote, chilling effect you hear so much about these days in discussions of free speech. The book was killed not because of, uh, let me see, the book was killed not because, what? The book was killed not because, uh, can you read that? I can't read that. It's it's worded incorrectly. Yeah, yeah. Basically, the book was not killed because it was criticized, but because the publishers feared it would be criticized. I'll just, that, that I guess I'm paraphrasing or whatever, but this doesn't make any sense. Anyway, this won't be the last incident of its type either. The impulse to censor led by groups on both the left and the right and fed by the innate cowardice of American business is growing in this country. It's something that anyone who reads for pleasure or edification ought to be aware of and be prepared to combat. In one of the great ironies of history, we have a situation in which the totalitarian nations of the world are on an inexorable march towards freedom, while their very model, the United States, is moving slowly but dangerously in the opposite direction. Steve Gerber. Yeah, well, uh, good luck with that, Steve. Yeah, so, I mean... That's that's his take on 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 why the book was canceled. What I noticed too is like we we talked about how all this stuff occurs in in a certain time frame, right? These comics came out in July and August, right? The the Marvel magazines, the film, the the Dream Child. That came out, I think, at the end of August, or I guess it's August 11th, 1989. So so the film came out after these, like, I think it was July and then August 1st for the second issue. So the film came out August 11th. And what you'll notice is I, I pulled up, I mean, I don't know that I'm going to read every single one of these or whatever, but I, I pulled up a bunch of articles from the Associated Press, from, I think, like, the, the New York times or the new york associated press or whatever there's all these there's all these you know la times archives there's all these articles that are all between early september late october and they basically talk about this i i know we we briefly mentioned it but they they talk about this talking freddy krueger doll that came out for matchbox and and even like the Freddy fan sites online today talk about how ridiculous it is that they made a doll of a child molester slash killer, right? But uh, I'm just gonna tell you, like, I bought the fucking Matchbox Freddy doll, and I had a little string, and you pulled the fucking string, and it said fucking catchphrases. It was fucking funny. Like I don't know, man. Like whatever. I don't I, I don't know all the the judgment about it or whatever. But but there there were there were big big judgments about it and what you'll notice is the groups that are urging boycotts of the freddy krueger doll like that all takes place in september and that's when the plug was pulled on these comics so i 
I, I don't know that no one, I, I'm kind of surprised no one's made this connection, but I don't see it made online. But my, my thing is, I think there were a number of things that did it. Like maybe there were comments, you know, from, from parents groups or whatever it is, you know, church groups and things like that saying comics were too violent, but it's like, they didn't fucking cancel Wolverine. You know what I mean? Like they didn't cancel the Punisher, but they fucking canceled Freddy Krueger, right? And 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 maybe that's because there were threats to boycott this Freddy Krueger doll. And if I recall correctly, I, I I couldn't find much evidence or information about this. But if I recall correctly, the doll wasn't recalled. But I think what I do remember is I think there's two versions of it where, uh, if you'll if you'll notice the picture I I put in in our notes, like the doll has the matchbox logo on the upper left. I think there's a version of this where it doesn't even have the matchbox logo. Like they were just like, we want to sell the rest of these, but we don't want to get people all pissed off at our company over it. So I think they released, you know, whatever it was, you know, they, they probably released like 10,000 dolls with the matchbox logo. And then the, the other 30,000, they were like, all right, just, you know, ship them all. but we, we don't want to get busted for it or whatever. And like the articles basically talk about, you know, th- let's see, the, there's a religious group. Oh, here we go. This, this is the fun quote here. The group also urged a boycott of stores that stock the doll and a boycott of all other Matchbox toys. This doll is the product of a sick mind. The fact that a major toy manufacturer would promote this doll is tragic, said Reverend Donald E. Wildman, executive director of the American Family Association. We call upon concerned Americans not only to refuse to purchase the Freddy doll, but to boycott all stores which sell it and to boycott other Matchbox toy products, said Wildman, who is a United Methodist minister. And apparently they, they tried to boycott, you know, Pepsi for Madonna videos and, and all this kind of stuff. And and if you look at the trajectory of this, they talk about, you know, again, you know, boycotting the doll, you know, as you go through the dates, whether it's September or October, you know, it says protest kills Freddy Krueger doll. The Freddy Krueger doll based on the ghoulish character in Nightmare on Elm Street movies is being laid to rest for now. The Reverend Donald Wildman, whose American Family Association had urged a boycott of the doll, announced Thursday that the Matchbox toy company informed him it would not proceed with plans to market the doll. We feel that the decision by Matchbox is a very positive and socially responsible one, and we commend them for their decision, Wildman said in the news release to closing the toys company's action. Many people hoping to buy the Freddy Krueger doll, based on the ghoulish character in the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, may be able to purchase it only in their dreams. Anyway, they, they kind of say Matchbox has not decided the doll's ultimate fate. I don't think any decision has been made. Wildman said he was told by Matchbox that about 40,000 dolls already being shipped will not be halted, but orders for another 160,000 dolls will not be filled. To me, I mean, I don't know. Like when I put all the, the, the dominoes together, they all seem to line up to me. You know what I mean? It's like they, they, that was something that they, I don't know. It, I don't want to say they were ignorant of it, but maybe they were they they were purposely oblivious to that there were there were people that, you know, kind of had significant problems with the material. And like, I, I don't know, I, I just feel like reading because there, there's more amazing hero stuff. 
and and I I I I picked out like this one segment because I'm curious what your take on this is. But this is just me going back to the Gerber thing again, and I just find this fascinating, like how willfully ostrich head in the sand like people are about this stuff. So you got amazing heroes, and they say. Are you at all uneasy about doing a book where the main character is a child murderer slash molester? Gerber, no. No, I'm not, because he is the villain of the story. He's kind of a laughter, charming villain in a disgusting way, but we haven't soft-pedaled Freddy's history at all. In fact, the first issue goes into a very long sequence that tells probably more about his history than has ever been told, even in the films. He's referring to that horrific Amanda Kruger rape sequence, right? He is probably more of a villain in the comic book even than he is in the movies. Amazing Heroes says, something of a Freddy cult has sprung up, which sometimes makes me worry a little. Gerber, no, strangely, I think I understand it. This could get into a very complicated discussion of why that character is as popular as he is, and I'm not sure I'm really qualified to do the analysis of it, but it doesn't surprise me at all from a generation raised on Smurfs and pro-social cartoons that Freddy is their hero. So I guess it's like Filmation's fault that we all like Freddy. Is that what he's trying to say? I don't know. It's very strange. Amazing Heroes. Not to press the question, but in the context of the current case of the sex offender who kidnapped a seven-year-old boy, raped and mutilated him, do you worry, Gerber, what case is that? Amazing Heroes. Well, it's local. Maybe it hasn't spread to the national news yet. And this is the thing that blows me away, Gerber. I don't see where that really has any connection to Freddy at all. <laughs> and I'm just like, what? Like, I, I'm, total, I'm total David Tennant. Like, what? Like, <laughs> what? Like, are you, what? Like, I'm totally like, wh- what? Like, and, and and then Amazing Heroes tries to soft pedal it. I'm not saying it has any connection to Freddy. I'm saying that we might have a climate in which something like Freddy would not be welcome. And 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 then he says, if Freddy is anything, he is an expression of the fears. This Gerber that uh, fears of people concerning incidents like that. It's very strange that he has become both a kind of anti-hero and a villain. Pause. Oh, brother, I wish I had prepared for this one. This is a very difficult question. But, like, that, that's, that's the kind of thing that, like, cracks me up, because I'm kind of like, how can you not see the parallels? Do you know what I mean? Like, like, yeah. like to, 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 to your, I don't know, I don't know if I want to call him the average Joe, but to, to, to that contingent of people... Like, you know, the sick and twisted mind that that literally rapes and murders a child and is on trial for it is not that far removed from the person who is, quote unquote, peddling, you know, uh, entertainment that has a, quote unquote, popular lead figure that does the same thing. Right. Like, I mean, one's fictional and one's reality. Duh. But you know, to, to that contingent, I mean, it's, 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 it's not, you know, the, 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 the one step leads to the other, right? Which I, I don't know. I just think that's kind of, that's kind of funny, but there's, I mean, they, they talk about like the other issues that they had planned. Right. So at the time, I don't think, I don't think they had any notion that this was going to get scrapped. They, they talk about, you know, he says the way this is working, I'll be doing 
three of the first six issues, one, two, and five. Issues three and four are being written by Buzz Dixon, and issue six will be done by Peter David. I don't know who the artist is going to be on Buzz's stories yet, which I I think we kind of know it was going to be Bob Hall. Sam Keith is doing the Peter David story, is, is what is said in amazing heroes right you know i i don't know i mean i i guess that kind of i i hope that answers some of the question you know i don't know if it was the matchbox doll i don't know if it was you know these other associated press things that they keep referencing that that they saw you know and and just kind of got cold feet over or whatever but you know whoever it was just decided you know that they didn't want to i guess you know play with that fire i guess you know I don't want to do like the usual thing and be like, oh, the 80s were a different time, but they were they were a different time because you had when I mean, you had like action figures and NES games based on R-rated movies. Mm. But I mean, you know, like I said, like I was six years old and I was watching these movies and, you know, you you were a little bit older, but you were watching these like it was just it. It wasn't that big of a deal, I don't think it's like, OK, maybe. Maybe there were some movies where maybe your parents would object to and be like, oh, I don't think you should watch Predator because that guy gets his head blown off. And, and as a kid, you're like, well, I've seen worse, but, you know, th- those were the battles you faced when you were a kid. Like, it was always like, well, I've seen worse than Nightmare on Elm Street. Why can't I watch Predator? But it was just, it, it wasn't that, I don't know, re- restrictive, maybe, or at least for me, it wasn't. It was just, Oh, you know, what's this about? Oh, it's some alien thing. Okay, well, go ahead and watch it. Oh, you want a toy based on this R-rated movie? Then go ahead. Oh, you want to play the game based on this R-rated movie? Well, well, go ahead. It can't be that bad, right? I don't know if it was just, like you said, ostrich head in the sand, and maybe maybe the parents didn't know, but it was just like, okay, well, they're just playing a video game and playing with toys. Like, who cares? Well, I guess, I guess, I guess some of it could be the, the distinction between knowing, you know, like, I... Uh, maybe maybe this is where I'm coming from, but I, I always feel like I had conversations, like conversations, like whether I was five or 11 or whatever it was, right? I had conversations with my parents, and usually when it came to things like films, the conversation usually amounted to, you know this is fantasy, right? And my answer is, yes, I know it's fantasy. And that was kind of the end of the conversation, right? Mm, yeah. Like, like what you know, like like, and I I, I think you know I guess the, when when it becomes a problem is when somebody's like, what do you mean it's fantasy? I'm pretty motherfucker, or what? You know what I mean? Like then 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 you're like, oh shit, I got a problem. I got to take my kid to see a doctor, right? But I I mean that never happened with me, and it never happened with you, obviously, right? Like so yeah. I I don't know, like like I, I mean I I kind of get what you're saying, like like I. Obviously, like some of it was probably an overreaction. You could probably find, you know, issues of Tomb of Dracula that are just as grisly. I mean, ironically, like, you, you know, what cracks me up is and, and we, we haven't really touched on this, but since Freddy was noted as a Marvel magazine, that was also part of it. It was like a it was like a brand thing or an image thing. It was like to protect the brand because the Clive Barker Hellraiser comics were being solicited at the exact same time as this Freddy Krueger's A Nightmare on Elm Street. But the thing about the Hellraiser comic books were they were under the Epic imprint. So there was no, like, you know, the, the average parent wouldn't come up and go, 
goddamn Hellraiser comics being printed by that damnable Marvel. You know, like, like there was none of that, right? Like, but with the Freddy Krueger comics, you could clearly see goddamn Marvel. You know, like like they were they were printing that stuff, and so I think some of it was was image management and and damage control for that. Like, I mean, it, possibly we would have gotten more Freddy comics if they were under the Epic imprint. You know what I mean? Like, but they didn't play it that way. And, you know, I, I, I don't know that I would have them do it any different. I mean, I have, like I said, this is nostalgia for me. This is the kind of magazine spinner rack feels vibes or whatever. Like this is, this is something that I dug. I mean, just like I dug the, the Punisher magazine and, and that kind of thing, the Elvira magazine. And I think if, People have an appreciation for, you know, the, the the Dracula or the Rampaging Hulk magazines, even the the Savage Sword of Conan. Like, I think all the tone is is similar or the brand or whatever you want to call it. So, I mean, to, to me, like, yes, there is that part of me that's like, oh, it's a damn shame those things never got published. But again, like, I, I think when you put all the, the ducks in a row, I mean, it's like it's it it's not too hard to see what was going on in the various people's minds, right? Where they were like, ah, we don't want to deal with this shit storm. Like, let's just, let's just sidestep it, you know, like just, just so we don't have to deal with it, you know, like, cause, cause I mean, you know, Matchbox was getting the brunt of it. It seems like, you know, so maybe Marvel was just like, ah, we don't want to deal with that Matchbox shit, you know, like let's get in the escape hatch and get the fuck out of here before that yeah. goes down. You know? Yeah. I mean, my, my cousin had that same doll and it was just, I mean, like I said, he was three years older than me, but it was just—it was just another doll. It was just another toy. I mean, he—he he also had an Ernest doll, you know, like he Ernest Ernest, and he would, you know, he would have Ernest fight Freddy Krueger, and we thought it was cool. That—that that yeah. was the extent of it. Know what I mean? Pop me another one of them bad boys. How about it? Burn him! Burn him! Oh, oh, hey, burn, burn him up. Oh. Sweet dream. Who's that? <laughs> you? Or maybe you? you know to me it's no judgment right like i i enjoyed the hell out of all those movies and i i read these comics i i read you know to be honest like 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 you said i i am more of the 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 freddy fanboy than than the friday the 13th fanboy so i mean whereas i might be like oh you know i don't know that i've read every single comic book that there is about friday the 13th and jason i can tell you for shit sure i've read every single comic there's been about Freddy Krueger, you know what I mean? Like whether it was the Avatar Press or the the Wildstorm comics or the Innovation comics. I mean, Innovation was the the next the next company that got the license after this, and they did you know they did Interview with a Vampire and all that other stuff, you know. But I mean, I, I don't think anybody was coming after Innovation or trying to shut them down or anything. You know, if somebody had a problem with it, they'd probably be like, 
uh, Jimmy ain't buying no innovation comic books. Them are for the devil, you know, or whatever. And that was the fucking end of it, right? Like, that's, I mean, you know, but me, like, my mom was reading all those, uh, you know, Vampire Lestat and Interview with the Vampire and Queen of the Damned comics and stuff like that. And, and you know, so I got to get the Freddy comics. I mean, you know, that's just, you know, that's that's how shit was. And, I mean, like I said, she wasn't, she 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 was never particularly happy about the the morality of Freddy's vengeance, but it wasn't like she wasn't like no, you're not reading that. She she just always was kind of like that doesn't make much sense to me, you know. Like and then you just had to be like, you know what, you're kind of right because I, I I see your point, you know. Like I I see your point, I take your point. I'm still gonna watch my movies though. <laughs> that's basically it. But yeah, I mean that's I I think that's pretty much all I got on this. I I just you know. You know me. I just wanted to do a, a thorough, deep dive on these, and and not not leave any stone unturned or whatever. But I mean, I hope that kind of answers questions about like why something that presumably was selling a shit ton of copies. Like that's the other thing that was interesting. According to to things I've seen online, I I, I have no you know or, or articles I've read. You know, like I I have no comic cron data for this. So uh, so this could be complete and total bubkiss. But according to to popular uh, you know, uh, information, supposedly this book was outselling Savage Sword of Conan, which apparently was a great seller. So if that's the case, I mean, you know, like I I think the notion was they're like, I don't care how much money it's making, you know, like we're canceling it. You know what I mean? Like that, that was where they were coming from with that, which is kind of weird. Like you think, you know, you think uh, the, 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 the money would talk, but uh, I guess not in this instance. Maybe, maybe, maybe the money it was making was not worth the 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 legal fees and ramifications and brand damage costs that they foresaw or something like that. You know, I don't know. Yeah, but these were great comics. I'm glad you uh, you had to sit down and read these. Yeah, I really enjoyed them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're lots of fun. I mean, if you're if you're, I mean, as long as you're amenable, if you're into that kind of thing, like if you if you like you know slasher films, if you like horror comics, if you're not you know easily squeamish or anything like that, and that's your deal. Like, and and again, if you're a fan of the franchise and you've never read any of the comics, I I think you know Justin gave a ringing endorsement. He said like I I think this could have been turned into its own movie, you yeah. know, and I, 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 I feel like that's that's as much as I love these comics and as much nostalgic love for these comics. I don't know that I would have ever said that, but but since you said it, like that to me is a a ringing endorsement. You know what I mean? That 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 you know you can you know see the the cinematic, I guess, value or or adaption, you know, in those comics and everything. So yeah, I'm 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 happy you enjoyed reading them, and and hopefully. Uh, if anybody's listening, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, check them out if, if you haven't and you think you might like them. Give them a shot. No, no, no. Don't touch that dial. Here's what's on my mind tonight. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess this is going to, I, I believe this is going to conclude Fan Hall's Fright Fest. So uh, we hope you've enjoyed the month-long Fan Hall's Fright Fest of all the spooky and the dookie that's that's out there on the the fan holes podcast feed if you have any comments questions and or concerns you can email us at fanholespodcast at gmail.com 
if you want to check out the backlog of Spooky Dookie episodes or just standard regular old episodes, you can go to fanholspodcast.blogspot.com. All the episodes are available for direct download, including comics. Motherfucker, do you read them? And we can be streamed. We're on Stitcher Radio, Google Play, Spotify, and Amazon Music and Apple Podcasts. And we are on all kinds of social media. We're on Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And we appreciate all the likes, hearts, and shares that we receive. And not like literal hearts, but just, you know, Twitter hearts and stuff like that. So don't get any ideas. Anyway, all right. Well, until the next time, this is Derek, Derek WC. Wanna suck face? Signing off. (laughs) And this is Justin signing off. Ha 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 ha. This is it, sugar baby. It's your big break in TV. Welcome to prime time, bitch.
works. Hmm. All right, you assholes. Not even the fuck 4th of July. I hate all of you. You can hear all that, right? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Fuck you, assholes. I wish Freddy would come and kill you all. Okay. Maybe he did. Good. All right. I, I, I keep blaming it on the Matchbox doll because there was all these articles about, you know, recalling that doll and everything. And then if you look at, like, the timestamps on that, I'm all, oh, isn't it a coincidence? Like, there's all this controversy over the doll. And then, like, you know, it's like a, a week later they said, oh, sorry, no more Freddy comics, you know? And I was kind of like, to me, that was my, I, my I crazy think, theory. Yeah, I see, you see this, is, this is the problem that, you have with with merchandising and and it's that you you need a perfect overlap of you need to have somebody who knows what the property is you need to have somebody who also knows how that property is being perceived by its audience and then you have to have that person also be able to figure out what is the best product for that audience and uh, yeah, we've seen since them that you know there are people that yeah they they'll buy the Funko Bobby head you knows of anything <laughs> yeah they'll yeah. they'll buy the comic books they'll they'll buy video games but at the time there there were people who did not understand how all these things would fit together and they would yeah. just hear you know oh you know these, these kids like this thing well let's go out and get something and we'll tell the kids that's what it is. I mean, if you've ever seen any of like the early 60s teen magazines, it's like they had no idea what teens were interested in. They just go, well, what's what's the hit record this week? OK, we'll we'll, th- you know, do an article about whoever had the hit record. The hit record might have been, you know, some some pop singer who, who broke, you know, when I say pop singer, somebody from the 40s who broke through and had, you know, another top 10 hit. And uh, the old oh, Frank Sinatra's latest the teens don't care about Frank Sinatra. Come on. <laughs> uh, you know, they didn't get that. and They just would, would put it out there for something like that. That's innocuous. That's the kind of goof that, you know, you'll look back at it later and go, well, they were clueless, but it doesn't doesn't harm anything. But in this case, they had a property that really could have benefited from a good, you know, comic book series. Um they had the team that could have done it. Um, they just it's like, what did you think you were buying? Yeah, I, mean, I, 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 it kind of it kind of <laughs> blows my mind because yeah. sometimes I, I looked at all those solicitations, and I have to be honest, I'm 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 a fan of some of the movies for Hellraiser, but I've never yeah. actually read any of the comics. But when I was looking at yeah. all the solicits, I was like, wow, this I'm like this got canceled at the same time. They were publishing Clive Barker's Hellraiser. And I'm just like, yeah. 
but they didn't cancel that. But I think it was because it was under like the Epic imprint or something else. And I was like, it got me thinking. I was like, I wonder what would have happened if they just if it was on some imprint and it just escaped Goodman's notice or what, you know what I mean? Like that it wasn't, wasn't on his radar and somehow it just kept going, you know, like I, I I don't know. I always thought that was crazy because I'm like, Oh, Hellraiser's okay. (laughs) I I think Epic, (laughs) Epic was created to be their heavy metal. And so they were prepared for it. Uh, You also have this difference. Hellraiser is a philosophical, and quasi-religious horror story. It it is about meddling into things bigger than you are, and just basically, you know, stirring up trouble. You any, mm-hmm. anybody who gets messed up in the Hellraiser universe, you got messed up because you 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 rushed in where angels fear to tread. It's also very phantasmagorical if you know what i mean it is yeah. it is more so than the nightmare on elm street stuff the nightmare on elm street stuff is over the top ridiculous but it it it's still physically real if you know what i mean yeah uh yeah. you 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 could do these horrible things to a person the the hellraiser stuff is you know completely off the chain so to speak um and I think, as you say, it, it was in Epic. You had the the fig leaf of, well, this is all magic and supernatural. This isn't a slasher story. And yeah, I know full well, you know, for all intents and purposes, Freddy Krueger is a magical monster. It didn't strike Goodman that way, apparently. He, yeah. he could not tell the difference between Freddy and Jason and Michael Myers and all of the other you know, mass killers that were running around. 